You are listening to the award-winning The Young Jerks with Mike Crawford. Welcome, we're live. Mike Crawford here. Starting off with a document right on the screen before we bring up the guest. Barrett Lancaster Brown is an American journalist. He's broken a lot of stories. He's a National Magazine Award winner. He's an activist. He's been in federal prison. He's breaking so much news on his Twitter. I'm really excited to have him. I, I don't use the word hero that much anymore. I, I don't like leaders either, but uh, he this guy is kind of a leader and a hero to me uh, just for what he's done. So I'm going to bring him right up right now. Uh, Barrett Brown, welcome to the show. What's up, man? Thank you very much for having me. I, that was probably a, a quick... I, I could say so much about you, but I don't even want to like try to stumble through your bio because it's pretty impressive and long. Uh, and there's so much information that I want you to share. Where do you want to start tonight? I think I think Glenn Greenwald and the Intercept, maybe some something along that line. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, what we're talking about tonight uh, comes down to several different entities. Uh, it comes down to the CIA. It comes down to Peter Thiel uh, and Pierre Omidyar. Who are the you know billionaire uh, national security enthusiasts uh, who were probably responsible and arguably arguably are the ones who put uh, Trump in office you know by many accounts uh, and uh, Peter Thiel in his own right had a extensive role in in shaping the alt right and harnessing it and infiltrating uh, things that might oppose uh, him his company Palantir uh, and so on and so forth so so. And and so those subjects, unfortunately, uh, they overlap quite a bit, uh, as with the FBI. They overlap with a lot of the things I've been involved in. Uh, they overlap with the things I went to prison for, uh, the things that Aaron Schwartz uh, was, some of the things he was researching uh, along with us uh, years ago, the things Michael, Michael Hastings uh, was, was researching years ago, uh, the things that Kevin Gallagher uh, uh, has been helping to put out up until he, his his death uh, last year, uh, and I point point this out because I want people to understand <clears throat> what the implications are, just very clearly about the things I'm about to talk about, uh, because there's a lot of ways in which people who have perhaps uh, had the wrong heroes, which I have, uh, been fooled into working for something nefarious, which I certainly have. Uh, or have made some made mistakes that done things they shouldn't have done, like I have. Um, they need to be willing to, at this point, uh, do the right thing and participate in uh, bringing these things to light because it's it's uh, it's shocking, um, and, and I, I'm hard to shock at this point. So I'll start by pointing out a few just different, separate facts that will help us to kind of center on what, around what we're what we're going for here. Um, a few months ago, I participated in a uh, in a uh, panel discussion uh, in Berlin, run by the Disruption Labs Network, <clears throat> and uh, I, I did by you know by, by remote because I am I am in the UK and, and with an asylum uh, I'm a, I have asylum seeking status. I have a uh, luckily a major London law firm you know, asylum division representing me on this, uh, so I can't leave the UK. They have my passport. But anyway, so I, I participated, and so did Reality Winner. Uh, reality winner's mother, who has had been, you know, uh, one of those who has had to step in and, and help to advocate, you know, for for us and for her daughter and all that. Um, very common among you know the mothers or family members or friends of uh, whistleblowers. 
Uh, Naomi Colvin, who, who uh, has done a tremendous amount, probably more than any other person, to help get whistleblowers, uh, to help them when they're being uh, prosecuted or extradited. Uh, she, she based almost single-handedly. Uh, she played a huge role in, in Larry Love, the UK whistleblower who the US has been trying to extradite, uh, in him not getting extradited so far. Um, she was, you know, and, and she ran the Courage Foundation, uh, which was a thing set up to help whistleblowers like myself, um, and just has done a tremendous amount and, and knows a tremendous amount about the inner workings of WikiLeaks, for instance, some of the things that happened with Assange and his circle and then during the election. Uh, all of us, oh, and John Kerryaku also was speaking. John Kerryaku was a former long-term CIA agent who revealed the torture program and went to prison over it. Uh, during two days of, of this panel, uh, with, with all of us, you know, speaking, myself, uh, reality winner, her mother, John Kiryaku, uh, and, and I believe to some extent a few others, all said the same thing uh, about a certain subject. And it was that the Intercept uh, and First Look, which was funded by Pierre Omidyar and, and, and founded by Glenn Greenwald uh, in conjunction with Laura Poitras, who, who is actually one of the few people here who's not a villain, uh, the Intercept screwed them over. Uh, and there's some there's some disagreements uh, about why and to what extent, uh, but there's no disagreements uh, that they did and that they have not been accounted for it. And to, to go further, myself and John Kariaku, both of whom uh, have had extensive dealings with with this community and with the intelligence community. I mean, him especially since he's a former CIA guy. I more was more of a target, um, and with the media. Uh, have been attesting for a while uh, that the intercepts, that something has been wrong there. And the fact that all these whistleblowers that are proclaimed and look towards as heroes and all that, you know, and, and, and you know, you see all these, all the support for us over the years, the fact that we can all get together at a conference it's that, you know, for a, for a book release where we all have essays coming out, this big thing has been, it's been prepared and all that, and none of this gets reported or spread and, and just doesn't make an impact whatsoever. Uh, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, it doesn't hurt my feelings. Um, I don't think it hurts, you know, uh, John Kiriakou's feelings. Uh, and it and and the victims of that of that silence of that lack of attention is not, is not really us. I mean, it is to some extent the victims of the public. And everything else I'm going to talk about tonight that may have happened to people around me, people who people who are being prosecuted right now, who are my longtime associates, people who prosecuted in the past, people who have died. Uh, you know, while being harassed or prosecuted. Uh, all of this is about the public. In every single case, uh, the, the influence networks we're talking about, the individuals, they're, they're not mad at Barrett Brown. They're not, they're not trying to send Barrett Brown to prison for 100 years, you know, and then trying to do it again now because, you know, they don't like to cut on my jib, although they might not. Uh, it, 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 this is all because the public the public is supposed to know certain things uh, and it needs to know certain things. Uh, and there are very powerful, very, very creative, very brilliant and very resourceful uh, elements. Peter Thiel being a chief example, who do not want those things out. And then beyond that, there are num there's a network of people with to, to, to various degrees of, of culpability who don't want to face the documented facts. Uh, some have over the last, you know, year or so, uh, 
and some have responded very badly. Uh, but the, but the, 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 the fact of the matter is there's a huge amount about the last 10 years that has uh, now come together. And, uh, and because, and, and, and the horrible thing is the thing that really, it, it's a symptom aside from the disease is how difficult it has been to get these things uh, attention. Because again, there is not a single major press outlet in the U.S. that is not screwed up on this. Uh, there are several that have, you know, to various degrees, facilitated it. Uh, the FBI uh, is is vastly culpable for some of the same things it was supposed to investigate and um, and find out about, such as the election. Uh, and a lot of the people in the movement, in the people who are have been the, the legal support networks, the lawyers that were that were provided. Uh, to Jeremy Hammond, for instance, one of the, he wasn't my co-defendant, but was what we were both uh, prosecuted for the same, some of the same things, uh, some of the same uh, operations against Stratford and uh, Kingdom of Bahrain and so forth. But there are people who who and people I brought in to the movement who are culpable for things in the past and are still active right now, and uh, and the FBI is involved, uh, intelligence community is involved, private contractors are involved, uh, individual FBI cooperators who, whose correspondence we have with their handlers, who we've known for years, we know everything about, uh, are involved. Uh, and they're working uh, with, 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 with uh, people and groups uh, that I once believed in very much. And, uh, and it's unfortunate and it needs to get out. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, let me you know what? I just realized for folks following online, I screwed up the uh, screen, the uh, the title. It's Barrett Brown with two T's. I'm going to fix that right now so people know. But uh, definitely check out Barrett on Twitter because that's where you're going to get so much more of the documents and the information. I mean, one of the things I want to say about all of this, Barrett, tonight is that you are somebody who warned about things 10 years ago went to jail and then we saw all the things that you warned about happen so like the track record speaks for itself in my opinion on your reporting you talked about persona management which is basically bots that we see everywhere now uh you talked about you know the stuff that happened with cambridge analytica you you talked about all of this stuff and over time you could see that what you were saying was on the mark i, I haven't seen anything that i said look back on like, wow, Barrett was wrong. No, it seems like more, more and more as more info comes out, it's like, yep, Barrett was right. Barrett was right. He, he knows. So that's to me, like, I think people should look at track records. This is like a consp conspiracy theories, like right in our face. They're not even theories. It's like conspiracy truth right here. You got military industrial complex contractors, private corporations doing things that the CIA probably can't even legally do. So it's easier probably to have a, uh, a private corporation do it and Barrett and the activists are discovering it through anonymous leaks. And next thing you know, Barrett Brown is the, is the target and they're trying to throw him in jail for the rest of your life, which, which happened and you, and you fought that off. And now you're in England, right? You're, you're, um, you're yeah, in the UK, uh, been based out of London for most of the last year and was arrested here last year uh, at the, with the participation of Andy No, uh, the, the alt-right figure who is also one of the people who works uh, for Teal is a creature of Teal, as we'll explain later. Uh, him working with the Metropolitan Police, and I was arrested and put into an immigrant uh, removal center, and uh, barely, barely, very nearly flown back to the U.S. to face what uh, I learned to be apparent FBI charges that are sealed naturally, like 
the other ones, uh, and so on and so forth. And we've been able to discover more about that uh, thanks to a five, four hour recording of an FBI meeting in Los Angeles that occurred in late uh, December 2020, in which the FBI is meeting with a, a former associate of ours and uh, looking into not, not into the right wing groups, uh, so forth, that in a few weeks from then we're about to take over the Capitol building. Uh, but into myself and to those uh, the journalists and researchers that work in my signal groups. And uh, that's one of the things we'll, we'll I guess, bears further discussion. Um, the uh, I should note, so regarding my track record, yeah, it's it's very good. Uh, I, and it's, that's partly because I was in the right place at the right time. It's also because the people I worked with um, were, unlike me, very, you know, started with the familiarity many cases with technology, with technology in a way that I'm not, and with the internet in a way that I'm not. My, my internet knowledge and capabilities really only extends to uh, how do I use this to to get information out and to fight disinformation and organize and frankly gain power to do more of that. Uh, one of the people that we worked with a little bit, and I didn't really know, know much about him at the time, was Aaron Schwartz, who uh, did a FOI request on something called persona management, which had, uh, we discovered in the, in the uh, emails that were stolen by Anonymous uh, in uh, February 2011 uh, and which exposed the Team Themis scandal. Now that was the Team Themis scandal, you know, became a big press thing, you know, that we were very, very effective with that. It was in, it was in every outlet, uh, Congress looked into it. It involved Palantir, which one of the companies, Peter Thiel, uh, founded uh, with money from NQTEL, the CIA's investment arm. It involved a few other firms uh, that have since been absorbed into other firms, HB uh, Gary, uh, Barrico and in-game systems. And uh, it, it essentially involved a a plot to discredit uh, in, common enemies uh, of the DOJ, uh, of the intelligence community, and of a number of uh, companies and, and outfits that were uh, basically had approached the DOJ, uh, which was serving as sort of a concierge service for black ops, for, for uh, those who want to suppress civil society on behalf of institutions. So to put that more clearly, the Bank, Bank of America and U.S. Chamber of Commerce at that time both approached the DOJ and were referred to a law firm called Hunt and Williams, big lobbyist firm. And that law firm helped to put together this team themist thing, put, put the individuals together, uh, Palantir, H.P. Gary, Aaron Barr, the uh, other individuals. Uh, and they were going to go after journalists. They were going to uh, go after uh, labor leaders, uh, labor unions, uh, groups like Pink, uh, Code Pink, Stop the Chamber, very vanilla groups in most cases, groups that are simply opposing the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, for instance, uh, in their legislative agenda. Uh, also going after WikiLeaks, which at, at that time was still uh, doing tremendous work, uh, was still able to do tremendous work and was still uh, on the right path in terms of uh, the mission that was that I signed on to and a lot of signed on to uh, that mission changed you know, quietly years later. And we'll go into that a bit. Anyway, what, what, what came out was was quite disturbing. Uh, and that was the first thing that came out. The fact that this that this very powerful network was going to, among other things, dig into the children of uh, their targets, you know, including labor unions using Facebook. And there were some examples in those emails where they said, oh, here's here's his child. And here, uh, oh, here's here's this guy. They get they go to a Jewish church that was an actual quote by Aaron Barr. He referred to a to a temple as a Jewish church. Um, you know, stuff that is is uh, you know it's all legal because when it came out and Congress tried to uh, investigate it, turned out you know the DOJ was were the ones who got to determine if there were any crimes had been committed. And naturally, the DOJ 
was not in a rush to do that because the DOJ had set this up. So you had a weird situation in which a Democratic uh, presidency, the Democratic DOJ, uh, was being protected by a Republican uh, from Texas uh, who was on the head of the Judiciary Committee, uh, who rather than go after this big scandal that involves, you know, involved Democrats as well, um, uh, shut it down because it was a bipartisan scandal. And many of the things that have happened since have been by bipartisan scandals. And that is one of the reasons why in a partisan atmosphere, uh, you know, even, even if the partisanship is, is quite reasonable, you know, partisanship against the Republican Party, uh, partisan atmosphere, uh, it, it does help make it vastly more difficult for the public to understand what they're doing and for those participating in some of these things to get what they're doing. Anyway, Aaron, long story short is that Aaron Schwartz wrote some essays and did broadcasts warning about things like Trapwire, which was a uh, facial recognition uh, technology that uh, the company Stratfor uh, had, had been involved in. Uh, and he also, you know, he also worked with persona management. Uh, his warning, just like mine and a few others, uh, by that point, by the end of 2011, uh, were, were over, they were not heard because uh, the people who had the most influence uh, were not concerned about these issues or in some cases were very, were very intent on suppressing them. So for instance, a guy who claimed uh, back in the Brookings institutions, a guy who wrote an article claiming that uh, the Trapwire thing, the Trapwire company was not actually owned by Cubic, this international conglomerate. It's very little known, but owns a lot of intelligence, you know, and weaponry deals. Uh, that it wasn't actually owned by Cubic, and uh, he knew that because they had put out a press release claiming that. And that person went on to become uh, the editor of the Daily Beast. Uh, Aaron Schwartz went on to die uh, while being prosecuted. Um, and uh, persona management, the thing that uh, Aaron Schwartz did, the, did the, uh, it was one of the things we were all most concerned about. Uh, it involves social network bots, very sophisticated, you know, uh, sock puppets to be used to, inter to interfere with elections, to uh, put out his information, to discredit, to uh, infiltrate. To attack politicians. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, and it, it, we've seen it. And that term is, that term is no longer used for it, but, uh, but there's other terms now uh, in other companies. But that ended up, you know, that was one of the things we warned about most. And that was one of the things that gradually uh, became a major part, has, has been and continued to be, to an extent we're still not aware of, a major part of how uh, disinformation operations uh, are, are, are conducted and executed and, and, and made successful, and also a major part uh, in, in how uh, those who uh, have the information the public needs, how they're drowned out or discredited. Um, and so, as with that and much else, uh, there were there were companies and individuals that uh, we warned of that we had written about. I even wrote about from, from still from prison in 2013, uh, mentioning Archimedes Global uh, and some other firms, Palantir and so forth. Uh, and then was put under a gag order as a direct result of that. Uh, and one of the most bizarre uh, hearings you know, that, that ever occurred uh, when which the prosecutor claimed correctly that my art, that my article for The Guardian that I had written from prison was critical of the government. That's a quote. Um, and that was the same year Hastings died and the same year Schwartz died. Um, so these things, what I'm saying here uh, as, as we go forward is to remember this. A lot of things in the last 10 years could have happened very differently. Trump's election was very closely won. I mean, in some cases, in some ways, it wasn't won, obviously. He'd be won, but he won the uh, 
electoral, and it was won in, in a few states. And it, it is impossible to, to not to, to fail to, to acknowledge that the Cambridge Analytica, Facebook, uh, Archimedes Global uh, Alliance, Archimedes Global was you know one of the firms that shares executives with Cambridge Analytica, uh, and that executive went on to become a Trump official. Uh, it's impossible to believe that, that that very sophisticated, very widespread, and still uh, poorly understood operation did not mean the difference between between uh, Trump in office and, and, and the results and a you know incompetent moderate Democrat in office, which we can handle. You know, can handle, we're handling it now. Um, so that wasn't the only the, the, the other the other the other consequences of, of what was and wasn't uh, properly done by the press and by us, uh, you know, individual activists, uh, everyone else, uh, they go well beyond the U.S. Uh, they extend across the world. Uh, and, and we now know more about the direct correlations there. And, and as of this point, after 10 years of, of having to do research on this uh, and having been confronted with it, because I've continued to run groups to do, to do research, uh, and I've gone up against Palancer still again, and Andy No, and these neo-Nazi networks that are all working together. Uh, I'm now able to finally, uh, I think, present a, a full picture uh, that is uh, devastating. Uh, if it's absolutely devastating, uh, and 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 the picture, uh, I, to the extent that one begins to understand it, one begins to realize that whatever your issue is, if it be climate change, uh, immigration. Um, minority rights, indigenous rights. Um, these companies and these influence networks, they are, they are well-trained and they've had 10 years to progress uh, in making sure that anyone who's able to, to really make a difference on that issue in a way that is not approved of uh, will not succeed. And so every other issue conflates into this issue, which is the control of information and disinformation by a, a small far-right elite led by Peter Thiel uh, founder of Palantir, the person who uh, who instigated the FBI investigation against me back in 2011, and who uh, got Trump in office, and uh, and who has uh, coined uh, is, is is advancing the philosophy called the Dark Enlightenment, which is the the, hmm. the great threat, the greatest threat to to democracy and civilization in the 21st century. Interesting term, a phrase, Dark Enlightenment. And when you were just talking, it reminded me of. Some other shows that I listen to that are more conspiracy tinged, but also very much in line with what the subject matter we're talking about: military-industrial complex, mine war. Have you ever heard? It? You've heard of mine war, I'm sure, haven't you? I, Michael so. Michael Aquino, Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino. I don't. I don't know of him. He's a he's a uh, U.S. military psyops guy who wrote a book called Mind War, and it's uh it's it's funny because Infowars was it a recent one. book. Was it done like last ten? No, 10 I would say it was done in the early '80s, uh, maybe oh, '90s okay. even. Uh, but yeah, it's he, he you know he he's a guy who he was a Satanist actually, which is very interesting. I'm not against all Satanists at all. I'm not uh, bringing that up as a as a big uh, red flag on him. I mean, they're, they're novelties at least. I mean, that's it's, it's very interesting. He's a very interesting character. More for the military intelligence and and all of that, but um, we could go so far with this, you know, so so many different directions. I, I kind of just want to throw up this screenshot because I think this yeah, let's is drill like, down on some. This is stuff. what we're talking about, like kind of the stuff that's on Twitter that Barrett shows uh, all the time on his Twitter page. Um, 
and this is like basically a two-parter i'm, I'm kind of giving you the best part at the end the best part first i think on this one let me check and i also uh the people who are listening online a lot of people are listening and uh, leaving comments right now we're gonna flash some some of those comments up and we can definitely take questions so if That's you want to you know some some uh questions from listeners right now or viewers online you can definitely leave a question for us and absolutely get see if barrett wants to answer but this is um from emma best it's funny because you're we're talking about a lot of local people tonight uh from where i'm from you you're in england right now you're by way of uh texas you're from dallas dallas texas i'm in uh the boston massachusetts area aaron schwartz was went to school at least locally i believe at harvard or where do you go to school mit uh, yeah, yeah, because MIT, I think, because MIT was the one that that's um, when he hacked. Yeah, <laughs> that's when he went into. Yeah, yeah. that's what he prepared to download a bunch of files yeah. from. Yes. And now Emma Best is also someone who's uh, local, known through the anonymous movement as well. Uh, Denial of secrets, I believe, is their their project, their Twitter. Is that right? Yeah. Well, there's also, I mean, in terms of figures in the movement, there's Lauren Pespiza, uh, of course, one of your your I think, co-hosts on the show. Uh, Rob Rob uh, Rubber and uh the, the late kevin gallagher and also uh, greg house who, who brought me into anonymous and he was one of the individuals uh i'll be speaking about in a bit now that we know which more makes about me him. sad on greg because yeah. you know I, i've had greg yeah. on the show i've been on his show we all like greg but uh yeah geez it's 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 you know stuff speaks for itself unfortunately um so let's talk about emma best because she yeah. she is like someone that has a lot of a lot of followers, a lot of juice. They're re releasing a lot of information, a lot of, you know, doxes and a lot of hacks and yep. data. And she wrote you this, this, was this on Twitter? I believe it must've been. No, a this was, this was a signal message. A signal. Um, message. So this, this was in 2019 at the time, uh, Emma Best, who I had known, uh, years ago, uh, when, when we were putting together some other, uh, you know, uh, leaking projects, investigation projects, uh, and, uh, before I went to prison. And then uh, uh, Emma Best approached me in 2019. Uh, I had a nonprofit I had created Pursuance in order to uh, to, to do some things, to create some uh, a, a framework for collaboration and also to uh, facilitate my old research project, Project PM, the one that the DOJ had deemed a criminal organization and went after and and some other projects. Anyway, uh, and so we worked, she approached me and asked, uh, asked me to help uh, put together uh, a bunch of journalists and some apparatus for a major leaking project called 29 Leaks. This was a, a ma major, very important leak uh, from a firm in London, Formation Formations House, that uh, essentially does uh, money laundering, you know, uh, and through sh shell companies and something else called shelf companies for oligarchs and, and kleptocrats around the world. And so that was a huge deal. Uh, we brought in tons of journalists and brought in my, my volunteers and some, some of my volunteers uh, and my other associates, you know, we, we put them on the board of directors at DDOS and I was, the best was my, one of my favorite people. Uh, I was very, very respected, respected a great deal, knew about her history in the intelligence community. Um, and also knew more private uh, stuff that she, I guess was not public and is still not public about private, private intelligence companies she thereafter worked for. Um, and, but I'm, you know, I'm someone who's advocated for Chelsea Manning and Snowden and, and so forth and, and work with a lot of uh, ex-military intelligence people. I mean, I, I, I like it when the U.S. trains, trains them and, and then, you know, sends them over to me uh, or, or, you know, or whatever. Um, and so 
we developed a very close affinity uh, rapport. We're working on this big project and other things. And, uh, you know, and they, we trust each other quite a bit. And I, I, you know, helped to bring in some legal, to set up some legal aid for them when, when uh, at a point during this, when they, they, they felt that they were about to be prosecuted. Uh, they were very, very shaken. Um, and this is a discussion we had that I didn't think all that much about at the time. You know, it's one of the things that I should have, uh, but there's, you, you just have so many interactions if you're, for someone like myself, uh, you just there, there's so much to keep straight um, and, and to look into. And, and, it's, and, I, and I am naive. I'm a naive person in a way, uh, in a way I've discovered over the years. Um, but basically here, uh, here is in best filling me out about working with an enemy. And she's using Stratford here as an example, because Stratford, of course, is a firm that I have much reason to dislike. Not, it's not just because Stratford, I uh, was prosecuted over the Stratford hack. Uh, not just because I was set, you know, hit with a $800,000 judgment over the Stratford hack, and whereas the Stratford hack was, of course, an FBI operation run by Sabu, and that you know was announced by the FBI itself in March of 2012. Uh, but because Stratford does extraordinarily terrible things all over the world, like you know spying on uh, activists in Bhopal, India, uh, on behalf of Union Carbide, activists who are trying to get restitution for those who were crippled, maimed, poisoned in the Union Carbide disaster. Uh, things like that, spying on Occupy Wall Street, um, and also arranging disinformation to be placed in the New York Times, uh, targeting activists, which happened to me uh, before, right before my arrest. Um, and so, and I explained uh, back to Emma Best, Emma goes by Bay, I should say, Bay, not, not her. Um, I explained oh, back to Emma Bay? Emma Best goes by, by they. Okay. Uh, I explained oh, okay. back, I back to them, that as you can see here, that... Uh, and you can't see some, see all the conversation here, but I can post more if anybody needs wants to see it. That I'm very I'm I'm willing to work with people I don't like. Uh, I'm willing to work with people I disagree with, even people I think are dangerous. Um, I'm willing to do any all kinds of things if the outcome will serve the public. But there's one particular rule that I follow above all else is that I won't uh, I won't lie to the public, that I won't deceive the public or allow the public to be deceived uh, to the uh, any any in any case where uh, I could have a chance of getting this stuff out to them. So having said that, there are some things that I, that I know that the public needs to know that I don't put out because I, I have a sense at this point, a very structuring sense of what, uh, what will be, uh, what, what will end up being uh, smothered uh, and perhaps damaged my credibility uh, among the same people who, who laughed off Palantir and, and persona management and laughed off Schwartz years ago. Um, so just, and because there's so much else that we can put out that, that we can document real well, uh, and, and, and is exciting in some ways and, you know, or interesting so that it has a chance of getting out those things I, you know, do put out. So this answer to this, this question, uh, this was the wrong answer. Uh, and I, and, uh, we never spoke of it again. Uh, and it didn't occur to me to go back and look at this conversation until last year when a number of things started happening at distributed denial of secrets, uh, uh, you know, first kind of in the dark, in the background, and then thereafter more publicly. Uh, and this gets us to the, uh, the influence networks and the FBI and so forth. Let me, let uh, me read this though, for people who may, maybe listen to it on podcast later. At, Cause, and I want to do a follow-up question on this too, because, Emma Best wrote you two kinds of people, ones who shake hands with their enemies when interests align and those that can't. And then she asked you, which are you? 
and you come back and you say, I'm from Dallas. So what's up? And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, as, as I've said before, you know, I come from essentially the upscale criminal class. Like my dad was, you know, my dad was hit by the FBI when he was about my age. It was over, but it was over actual, like, you know, financial crime. He was a very successful financial criminal, which in Dallas is a, it's a high status profession. Um, until he got hit by the FBI and lost all his money. So I grew up rich until I was seven. And then, uh, and then he lost everything. And I was living in a, uh, a single room with my mom and my grandma's apartment after that. So I, I, I have, I, that's another advantage I have is that I know deep down that, that things can change in a way that some people perhaps don't um, like, I feel it. Um, anyway, so what I'm saying is that, look, I'm, I'm, I've been doing this a long time, 10 years. I was in prison. I, I was the head of a prison gang for three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, 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 um, I have friends and, and colleagues and, and associates who are former governments, uh, some who, who are, you know, government officials. One of my favorites is, is a city council, former city councilman in Dallas who ran for mayor and, and uh, who is one of the most trustworthy and greatest guys I know. Uh, and I deal with with evangelical Christians. I deal with uh, I mean, I, I just deal with with all anyone. Kinds. All yeah. kinds. And, yeah. and you're kind of, you know, it's like for people who are listening from Boston or maybe anywhere in the country. It's, you know, I, I say it's like you're from Charlestown <laughs> in Boston or you're like me, like I, I'm the kind of the same type of guy. I, yeah, I'm working class. I'll, I'll speak to anyone, basically. And and uh, she says, I don't understand or, or uh, they respond. I don't understand this reply. You're asking me if I'm willing to make deals you come back with, you say to achieve some. Uh, and I'm telling you, I'm from Dallas. Uh, I were uh, and you come back. I used to work with him. And as you know, I'm not sure. Uh, something's cut off. We hated. Something. Oh, what I was saying there is we worked with Sabu and Hammond, and I, you know, we did not get along particularly with Sabu. Um, there was, and this, this was, and this was, you know, Hammond was being kind of dragged or pulled along by Sabu during the period Sabu was under the FBI's control, which began in about June uh, of 2011, uh, and up until March 6th of 2012, when all when I, when I was raided, Hammond Hammond was arrested, and uh, the FBI revealed Sabu had been there. Sabu and all the hacks he was involved in uh, had been under their control. Mueller later bragged about that operation. Um, so yes, yeah, so what I'm saying is that, yeah, I mean, anonymous politics, you know, even you do it. Prison politics, real politics. Um, yeah, I could, I, 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 I can forgive a lot and I can forget a lot. Uh, if it, if need be, if, you know, yep. but yeah. And she comes back with, but you could shake hands with Stratford question mark. Do you have that in you question mark? And then you come back and say, but in all seriousness, I believe in getting things done. Only thing I won't do is engage in substantial dishonesty towards the public. I, it, was that the part right there at the end? Engage in substantial dishonesty towards the public. You feel like you answered wrong for her, or yeah, or they, uh, yeah, because, simply because the next response from from uh, them was, uh, uh, and I can I can pop, pop, push, pop, post that up if it's not much sure sorry Twitter was basically. Uh, uh, something like uh, just just uh, just checking for later, you know, and, and again, never no further mention of it. Uh, and so, again, at the time, you know, I didn't know which is what what they're referring to. But again, I, I, you know, I figured they would tell me if uh, whatever. And, you know, uh, I still had great deal, so much respect for, for what DDoS had been had done and what we continue to do, uh, you know, that I was willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, uh, which which is a. a a characteristic of mine that I know I have shed in the last year in particular. Um, it's difficult to not to trust people right away. It, like I, it, it, we, it, we just want to trust people and believe in them. 
and it's pain, it's painful in some cases uh, because some of the people who've been involved in this, I've been friends with and close to for 10 years, 11 years. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and, and some, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Um, so anyway, so, so last year, um, a couple things happened. Uh, right, right after I was arrested and put into the uh, immigrant removal center and there's, there's, you know, this whole home, home office FBI met thing uh, that, that, you know, intended to get me thrown back to the U.S. that failed because unbeknownst to them, uh, I had been preparing to make an asylum bid for a while. And so was able, before the you know, this de facto rendition flight occurred, I was able to get my fiance, Sylvia Mann, out of here. She, she was able to get this law firm to file for me. And, uh, and you know, and they, the home office had to release me. Another, another element of the home office that wasn't in on this whole thing. That's the great thing about government institutions is that if you're preparing for a, a conspiracy, uh, you know, against, against, you know, against the law, you can't tell everybody. I mean, you can, but it makes, it makes it unwieldy. So whatever branch of the home office that, that approved my asylum claim as, you know, uh, as per British law, which they, which, which the home office already broken on several occasions, uh, in this incident, I'll, I'll talk about else, elsewhere. Uh, you know, they weren't aware that Barrett Brown was not supposed to be, you know, that he was supposed to be, that we were just going to keep breaking the law as, as they were found to have done quite a bit in that whole case. And so, you know, I've got asylum. Anyway, uh, when I came out, obviously, uh, there were some things I needed to look into. Uh, and one of those things was some, some uh, uh, I had been notified previously, vaguely, that some FBI meetings had been held about me and that there were some things I needed to look out for. And I knew that, I knew that from several sources. Uh, Rocco Castoro, who was, who was executive editor of Vice for early on and, uh, and, and left over when he, when he became... You know, like me, he is a very staunch critic of the press uh, in this age, and he's seen and worked with vast amounts of it. And he's also dealt with the intelligence community, and he knows the, ex the extent to which the intelligence community and FBI has inroads into certain outlets. You know, Vice, for instance, has an executive that was came straight from the straight from the State Department. You know, oddly enough, and has some individual reporters who are you know. Um, FBI aligned, whatever that is. Again, what I should be clear when I talk about these outlets, I'm not saying that everyone there or even most people there know of or involved in these things or, that or the outlets don't do great work. And I've written for Vice. I've, I've written for The Intercept, uh, which turns out to have been something very different from what it was declared to be. Uh, outlets are not, they're not, um, not, you know, they're not monoliths. Uh, even individuals aren't monoliths. Um, so that should be kept clear. Um Anyway, he provided me with uh, a four-hour recording and then several other uh, long recordings, phone conversations uh, between Val Brokson, who was a whistleblower, whose, whose father was a Deutsche Bank executive who was found dead in 2014 and was then approached by a bunch of reporters uh, and then began working for Glenn uh, for uh, the Fusion GPS had, uh, and otherwise... Uh, Fusion GPS was a firm that did the Steele dossier. Was that and Chris Steele, the guy? Yeah. Yeah, Chris, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he didn't work for Steel. Uh, he worked for uh, the founder of uh, of uh, Fusion GPS. Uh, his name escapes me, but who I've also now dealt with. Anyway, had a, like me had a lot of adventures, a lot of a lot of escapades, trying to discover things. He, he dug into Deutsche Bank to find out what is what it had to do with his father's death, uh, and Trump, the Trump campaign in Russia. Deutsche Bank is one of the most dangerous organizations in the world. Um, anyway, and so he was around our groups for a while and so forth, and 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 around Emma Best's group. Um, DDoS and have, became entrenched in that. Anyway, so he he had a four-hour meeting in, at the uh, LA FBI office, 
uh, in December uh, 2019, as I, as I said, or sorry, um, December 2020, 20, uh, you know, again, a few weeks before the Capitol takeover by the uh, alt-right. Um, and the meeting, uh, you know, went on for you know, four hours. They, they had flown up an agent from Houston named, named uh, I forget, I'll take his name in a second. Oh, David Coe, Special Agent David Coe of the Houston branch, specifically for this meeting. And they had someone from New York as well, his name we don't know. And then uh, the head of uh, FBI's Los Angeles uh, Cyber uh, Division, uh, whose name escapes me right now, all there. And Val being the, the, uh, the cunning sort that he is, uh, recorded the whole thing secretly on his phone. And so it's a four-hour meeting. Uh, a lot of it's uh, a lot of it's about him. He's basically there to make a deal because he has a child custody issue uh, involving his girlfriend. It's very complicated. And so they talk about that, and then they start asking about me and my signal groups and uh, and those in the signal groups, the individuals involved, uh, people I've worked with for a long time, like Joe Fionda, whose Twitter account, Fionda Vision, incidentally, was uh, suspended from Twitter a few days ago uh, at the behest of Louise Mensch, the former. Uh, British member of parliament who's been a, a some sort of chaos agent working for whoever. Uh, she seems a little uh, out there. The thing is that here's the thing. And that's something that is important too. There's a lot, there's a number of people who appear to be just crazy and just, yeah. you know, and, and that is, and some people who, who are as well, you know, but uh, there are tactics that we, we've, we can demonstrate now uh, showing private communications from people versus public communications that show that there's some people who, uh, act crazy in a way that is very helpful in achieving certain strategic goals, uh, such as making sure that they're not uh, paid attention to by the press and their dealings are, are regarded as obscure. To what extent Louise Minch uh, falls into that vibe, we don't know, but she is definitely uh, operating uh, for ends other than she is not an anti-Russia crusader. Uh, she she had meetings and anyway. Bottom line is one of the people that we've, we've had dealings with uh, Louise Mench over the years, and she's been a real pain in the ass, of course, um, and is also an FBI cooperator and deals, deals with these same FBI agents. Anyway, we had this long four, four recording uh, that, that basically shows Val uh, giving over some information about individuals uh, or researchers in these groups. So the signal groups I, I ran, you know, they're, they're not hacker groups. Uh, the only uh, hacker sort we had in there was Larry, Larry Love, and he doesn't do any hacking because he's, you know, He's already been indicted for packing by the U.S. and, you know, so he does other kind of activism. Uh, and uh, anyway, so the, the FBI is just ask him about, you know, just what I've been up to. I was in rehab at the time or just left rehab. They ask about that, you know, where I went to rehab. They just, you know, other questions. And then there's there's an exchange there. And that's you can see that on, on the my pins tweet. Um, you can see there's a there's a thing about Twitter suspending a, a tweet about uh, the FBI uh, of mine um, the day before an article came out in BuzzFeed on that same FBI agent. If you, and that 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 thread includes some uh, clips of the recordings and the entire the, the entire recordings are also available, but they're long and very obnoxious to listen to because the FBI, the way they talk is just really out there. Um, anyway, Do you think that they were freaked out because uh, I, I see I, I've listened to that audio and it is like kind of freaky, but I didn't realize who he was. I didn't because I've read about him. I remember I think there was a Rolling Stone story or something like he, he the was New York, like, New York yeah. Times had a big story on him, yeah, uh, and then burned him, and I, and that's another thing we have. So, so like, do you think that they were like thinking that you were working with him, and and you were going to well, expose well, I, I, I had like, been working with him. I yeah. had been working with him. He approached me. Uh, he he was advised by oh Glenn Reynolds, uh, by Fusion GPS head. He was advised by by Glenn Reynolds to approach me back in 2017 when I was getting out of prison. A lot of people were were, uh, and I have the email 
exchanges now kind of showing that. So that nudged some other people. Uh, there was a lot. There's there just been a lot of attention uh, on me from the intelligence community and private intelligence community because, you know, I'm often either a threat or a someone they could potentially try to use. Uh, and so I've been working with him because he was indeed a whistleblower. I mean, he, he had done amazing work digging into uh, to Deutsche Bank, uh, his father's files, uh, had, had committed hacks as well in order to do that. He talks to that, tells the FBI about that. Oh, I hacked this, hacked that, tried to hack this New York Times editor. Of course, they're not interested in that. They're asking, you know, because those are crimes that, are, that don't lead them to uh, black activists or transparency activists. Uh, and I, I work heavily with both. Um, anyway, so from that, I was able to get a sense that, okay, well, this is on again. Uh, me and the FBI are about to have this, you know, another, another sort of shadow war that's this time it's going to be ignored to a large extent because I've lost a lot of, uh, press, uh, uh, reach due to my puritanism. You know, I, I started out as a press critic, uh, and I'm a very violent press critic. And as someone who has worked with, worked, written for, worked with, and been interviewed by, and been written about by. The every largest, every major outlet, yeah, the largest uh, outlets, minor in the ones world. Uh, right. across the world, uh, Guardian, yeah, and, and been a source for a lot of them. I happen to have a unprecedented trove uh, that just by which I can and have proven wrongdoing, considerable wrongdoing, malfeasance by people who have gone on to major roles. A uh, few of them have disappeared. Adrian Chen was one of the worst offenders. He was a gawker. He went on a Twitter break about a year and a half ago after I put out some stuff on him. Uh, Joseph Men, a guy who uh, played a big role in a lot of this, he was just hired by the Washington Post to be their cyber reporter. Uh, Joseph Men is, is actually, uh, he uh, struck a deal with H.B. Gary, the intelligence firm that was involved in that Team Themis thing, uh, about a year before he wrote the article uh, praising you know, Aaron Barr and his company and then so on and so forth. Uh, Joseph Men also uh, convinced Kevin Gallagher, who Lauren Pespiza, your co-host there, knows, you know, knew very well, who was head of, who created my legal defense uh, effort out of, out of nothing essentially, uh, and has been you know one of my uh, most 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 uh, closest colleagues for ten years. Was he uh, like your brother? Was he like he, seriously? It seems like he's your, I mean, he's your was, biggest brother. We, he had your back, we, right? There, the, he 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 was he put himself at risk, not just risk. I mean, he he did he was targeted by the DOJ, and so was so was. I mean, everyone who donated to my legal defense fund that he created for me uh, turned out to have been identified by the DOJ and the FBI. And then they got, and then Kevin sued them over it in 2017 in the uh, district of Northern California. And the judge agreed that, you know, but unfortunately there was, there were these venue issues and so forth that anyway, uh, and he was also targeted very heavily by a lot of the people who are, some of whom are FBI cooperators, uh, some of whom are very vicious uh, and, and, uh, and, and we'll, you know, anyway, and, and Kevin had like myself, uh, some mental issues, drug issues and, uh, so when I got out of prison, uh, one of the first things I realized, or when I got out of the immigrant removal center, uh, realized that Kevin had disappeared essentially from online about the day before I'd been arrested. He disappeared from all the signal groups. He had not tweeted on his uh, the free Bar the free Barrett underscore account. He's had for ten years his own account, Aegis A E G I S. Uh, and so we started making inquiries and just you know, maybe he's taking a break or something. Finally, I reached out to his family on the ninth of. Uh, of June, and uh, you know, they said they hadn't heard from him either. Uh, finally, on the tenth, I sent a uh, activist involved, a sex worker advocate in San Francisco, uh, that I uh, know who was involved in these groups, and sent her to go to his home. And uh, she got the landlord to open up, and she found him dead. Uh, and there's a lot of 
there's a lot of questions around, you know, what drove him to that to disappear at that point and what what drove him to like to just not talk to anybody for several weeks. Um, and was it some of the same things that we've seen elsewhere that have that have had an effect on us? The same thing, same things a lot of us subjected to. And we know a little bit about it because some of it was public. There was some Twitter engagement that was public uh, against Kevin that was done by uh, a few of the people who uh, were now working with DDoS uh, and the people around it. And so, and one of those people was his name, Kurtaner, called Kurtaner. He's a hacker who's become real well known. His real name is Aubrey Cottle. Uh, he is a longtime CSIS uh, Canadian, you know, uh, uh, you know, police asset. Uh, has has bragged in the past uh, about being at work with the FBI. Has had some role in in uh, child porn honeypots, perhaps, possibly because he was running a Chan and maybe got arrested. Who knows? Uh, is a very bizarre individual and and another example of someone who actually uh, pretends uh, to be crazier than he is. He's also got a drug problem, like we all do. Um, you know, when you, was, when you uh, say pretends to be crazy, that like when you said that earlier, that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking of. Like, oh, another one. And you just named him. Um, I actually have his video. Do you, do you want to play a little video from Kurtanier? Like to uh, yes, show yeah, the yeah, craziness? Yeah, and, you know, I think it, this is so another example of where Barrett's been right. You've been calling out this guy and saying he's got to be an agent. There's something not right about it. Like you just pointing it out. Before, before you play that, just because he said that, I want to point out that I, I was I was late on that issue. In fact, other people warned me, including Kevin Gallagher, about him. Uh, and and Carmo six hundred one, the guy on Twitter that, that documented a lot of his stuff, uh, he'd been calling him out uh, publicly for a long time. So and and I told everyone, no, no, I, I, we got it under control. We're watching him. You know, Greg House, you know, told Kevin, no, no, try, I, I, blah blah. Um, and so it took me it took me a while until I until I saw the other, other stuff. Um, so this was something that I wasn't, I failed on. I, I failed as a, as a leader because he, he had infiltrated our group around the time I was traveling from uh, Antigua uh, to, to the UK. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't, I just, Greg was vouching for him. And, uh, you know, but he was, he, when I said earlier that the FBI, you know, when I, there are no hackers in my group, that was the exception. That was the one who was in there. He was talking about hacks. He was performing socially. And, and we got, a lot of people got, got nervous about him and, uh, you know, asked us to get rid of him. And finally, after I got out of prison or out of the internment center, uh, I, I asked, I asked him about something that I'd come across and, uh, and we kicked him out. And then that started, um, uh, that's when things got weird, but yeah, go ahead and show the, uh, the recording. And and the thing about Kirchner, I think is important to note is he's bragging about things that are crimes and he never it has been, to- has been for over a year. And, and it doesn't seem to get arrested. So right. I, I want to play this video. This is Aubrey Cottle self-professed founder, founder of anonymous, of anonymous. Yeah. um here he is let's see if we can get this up right now <laughs> nothing scares me nothing yes i doxed the truckers i did it it was me i had to give send go baby and i do it again times i did it i did it come at me what are you gonna do what are you gonna do to me huh i hacked epic hosting i hacked parlor i hacked gab
social. I hacked. Go, Gibson, go. I don't care. I'm, you can literally put my name into the news tab on Google. And you can find everything I've done. I am literally in every mainstream media publication for the things that I do. I'm not an unknown actor. I'm literally a famous fucking cyber terrorist. And you think that you could scare me? See, they always default to the pedophile accusations. They always default to that because they have nothing else. It's actually some projection. That guy, I want to see his browser history. That guy loves little girls. I've hunted pedophiles. I've outed pedophile rings online. I have gotten pedophiles arrested, buddy. You have no idea who the hell I am. Well, <laughs> I should have given people a little warning on that one. That's uh, pretty startling to... And that's Just that's not nowhere near the most. I mean, if you want to see some disturbing stuff, the messages he sent me after I started discovering what him and some of his partners and and and, and what he was his involvement in the anyway, uh, yeah, they're disturbing, and it's hard to say what which part is is meth and which part is, uh, um, you know, again, which part is is is, is intentional. Uh, to the to the extent that it has, that some of this has been. He brought it up too. Uh, it has been I mean, successful I, he, in, he, in convincing some people like that. He, oh, he's, he's, he's he said the word actor. He said the at word actor right there. Which sure, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So telling. And then and then he talked about what you know you've brought up about the uh, his bragging about how he he set up kitty porn. What does he call him? Kitty porn stings or you know not stings. Yes, honey yeah, he's yeah, he, he's 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 talked about that in various contradictory ways over the past ten years. That people, you know, I, I didn't know about this guy until he ended up in my in my signal groups. But uh, other people have been tracking for years, including you know, including those close to him and, and his the, the mother of his child. Uh, and so they, he's been lying about their. We, we don't know what which of the twenty or thirty contradictory versions of the truth, but you know, the one in the Atlantic in the Atlantic article about him is Dale Barron of the Atlantic. For some reason, wrote an article about Anonymous's revival uh, a year ago, year and a half ago, perhaps, uh, and, and, and put out a tweet claiming him to be the founder of Anonymous, and uh, that was based on uh, nonsense. And he was called out for it by uh, by Gabe, Dr. Professor Gabriel Coleman, who's, who's been watching us for years and all that. And anyway, um, but even that article talks about him being approached by CSIS. It just it, it, and the pro here's the problem. You know, we have him. We have. 30 or 40 different like points that would make when someone's suspicious of someone. And we have about 10 that would get someone kicked out of any, any, uh, any movements. That's not this, this fucked up transparency uh, movement that's, that's been, uh, that's deteriorated so much since, you know, since for, you know, in, in, over the last 10 years. Um, and then we've got several things that just are smoking guns, like several smoking guns. And, uh, and I made that known to Emma best, before I knew about them being involved uh, together. Uh, so anyway, so after after we found, after Kevin's body was found, um, and while I was looking at these FBI recordings and so forth and other documents and uh, people approaching me about some of these issues, uh, I realized that Katanner uh, was one of the ones along with some other, uh, some other people who are also known 
contractors uh, and and involved either with Canadian or, or U.S. And, uh, police intelligence. Katrina was one of the ones in, in a sweet Twitter thread uh, where they where they were, were messing around and, uh, you know, as usual. Um, and uh, and Katrina, Katrina was was among them. Uh, so was uh, Katrina's partner in this uh, woman named Elizabeth Shaw, who is a contractor we now know a lot about, and that's another story. Uh, another was uh, this guy Jack, as they call him. He's another Canadian involved. His father works for the Canadian intelligence. Uh, Jack is one of the most prolific uh, of, of those who who try to break us, like you know Mitchell, like, like making like when Hastings is death. Uh, Jack, he has all his Twitter accounts. He's created that he'll come to me and make fun of Hastings' death and all that. Uh, and then, of course, when Kevin died, he did the same there. Uh, those people were in this thread, and they and they said, oh, hey, uh, how about you, Kevin? Were you at the ball? And like, and uh, a lot of the, some of the, some of the tweets, by the time I got them and screenshotted them, you know, were still there. Some were deleted. Uh, and, and, and as, um, by people who don't just delete delete their uh, tweets automatically. So from that, I, I knew something was really messed, really really wrong. Uh, and then I and then I realized that um, Greg Hausch, who of course knew Kevin uh, through through me and through all this stuff, and, and uh, Greg Hausch was not uh, he wasn't cooperating in this investigation with us um, as one might thought he did. In fact, he was doing quite the opposite and. Uh, and at the time when I asked Greg Housh, hey, like, I need you to pay attention to this. This is important. This this, this person container that you're bringing on your show, because Greg was at, at, at a huge portion of, of, of rolling out container to the public. Uh, you know, when I asked when I asked Housh, you know, to, you know, help out with this, this investigation in Kevin's death, he said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just got to let it go. I'm out, I'm out of town right now. I'm busy. Turns out I get some photos and information later on. He was busy because he was at DEFCON uh, meeting with uh, a number of other FBI cooperators, um, uh, including some that have been active uh, against us and some of the others that were working with Kurtaner. Uh And, you know, there's photos of them and all that. So I kicked Greg out and uh, I'll, I'll say this publicly just so everyone understands, you know, uh, I'm someone who when my mom was prosecuted, uh, you know, I was facing 100 years and they tried to get, get me to do a deal to, to uh, link to plead to one of the linking charges. Uh, and I would have not been facing 100 years, uh, but that link would have, you know, that that precedent would have endangered everyone uh, even more than they already are. The DOJ could use that for other reporters and activists. You know, I turned that deal down. And then when they said, well, the moms, you know, we're about to prosecute your mom, which, you know, they've been warning for for a while. I said, go for it. Um, so, Greg, however, no matter how close you are to me or whatever, like, you know, um, uh, there are there are, you know, this this is this is in my estimation a war. Uh, I think it's the war. Uh, it involves all the wars, and we haven't even gotten yet into the actual war that's going on right now and how this all connects to that. Yeah, but, Ukraine. Uh, yeah, but so Greg Hausch, I kicked out of the group, and and I have uh, quite and quite frankly, and and, and Pertaner and them have made this public. I've I've threatened him uh, in various ways, and I have forced him to give me some information about some of the people involved, and uh, and that's and I'm that is something I've. Uh, that's the, that's the least of what I would do uh, for someone like for, for the public and, and for someone like Kevin, who is one of the few people who uh, I mean, his death, his death is, is because of me. Kevin's death is because of me. And it, and, and it was um, and his deterioration towards the end was because of me. And uh, and it was facilitated by these people that um, 
we're now working with Emma uh, uh, Best and DDoS Secrets and with the FBI and with, uh, by their own admission, an ex-Scotland Yard official whose name we know, James Patrick, um, Neil Rauhauser, one of the ones he actually comes up in my in my uh, in my um, bond hearing. Uh, he was he he set me up. Uh, he was an FBI cooperator who did, who swatted other FBI cooperators and other people, and uh, uh, is one of the most disgusting individuals involved, and has bragged about uh, get, causing people to die, causing people to kill themselves, uh, as has Tanner and as has Jack, the mm-hmm. other guys, all these people involved. And so, as you can imagine, I was. Uh, it was very difficult for me to, to pursue this strategically. Um, I was enraged. Um, I was very, I mean, I was, I was suicidal from about, yeah, from about that point, uh, up until a few months ago, um, when I, when I closed down my groups and, uh, and cut up and sort of ended my affiliations for the most part with the transparency active movement and started working more with, uh, black socialists of America and a few other, uh, and, groups. and some individuals, you know, group groups that, that don't, don't tolerate this stuff. That's the other thing about anonymous is that, and it's really the thing, one of the things about, about hackers, uh, the kind of hackers you get involved in this stuff. Um, I, I've dealt with a lot of them, and I, I've, I've come to, uh, I've really had difficulty trusting uh, uh, many of them. And, uh, you know, that there's exceptions, obviously. You know, Aaron Schwartz was a certain kind of person. Uh, but but um, there are people who have, who are not like you and I, and it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, even imagine the things they they they're capable of and and and, and do regularly, uh, and they are used by the FBI and other groups. Uh, they're very effective, and and what they do ends up looking like drama and stuff like that. And so, uh, things can be things can be wiped out. Uh, people can be destroyed very easily, and and it, it makes it even when we have the documentation, it's an uphill battle to not only just get the press to address it, but even to get other activists. To look to at and that's the thing that is uh that's led us to where we are today um we de- definitely want to start uh putting up some of the comments we got a lot of people listening online if you have questions you can also uh but i do want to make sure that we get to the peter fail paypal gang yep. Yep. and uh yep. some of these other guys joe rogan and just you yep. know just flesh it out a little more but let's let's go we to will, some of the will, comments. in fact we'll, we'll 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 get to that we'll we'll connect to this unfortunately so yeah we'll get to that next uh, people saying looking forward to this right off the bat uh rod weber writes the intercept is such a lovely honeypot which i thought was uh right on the mark i think you said that earlier and uh and kurt tantner loves to help the feds so it seems like a lot of your audience already is familiar with a lot of this content. I, I know that you get upset. Maybe it's not getting out to a greater, wider, you know, Newsweek or some of the uh, control well, opposition. Well, yeah, well, well, the, the more upsetting part is is that it is is who you know is the people involved who should know better and who do know better that you know you know obviously it's a heavy it's a heavy thing it's a heavy thing to have to say okay well you know I was accidentally working with this guy it's a much it's a much much heavier thing when like you know. You were warned like over and over again, like this guy is doing this. This is what he's done to to our other activists. This is what he's doing right now, uh, and and then so you know at that point they get entrenched, and it makes it harder for them to do the right thing. And so that's we run up against that all the time. It's and it's uh, that's what that's what's upsetting. And I'm being made sport of too, but that's okay. They're, they're comparing me to some guy from the Big Bang Theory. 
a Facebook user. I think I know who this is. I think it's Lauren Pespiza. Barrett was the first show I did with you, Mike, which was sadly the day we heard about Aaron Schwartz dying. It was it's such a weird. It, we were doing a show about you, Barrett, and I had Greg and Lauren come in, and I, I think I had heard of Greg. I, I was actually suspicious of him at the Occupy movement. Actually, oh, <laughs> I was a little more libertarian back then too, so I was questioning a lot of stuff back then, questioning everything. And I had gone down a rabbit hole. I was, you know, so, but it's funny when Greg came on and Lauren came on, it was just, it was about Barrett Brown being in jail and how do we get you out? And that's when I met Lauren, the day I met Lauren and she later became my co-host for a long time. Uh, she's done a lot of good stuff. I like Lauren a lot. Um, let's post some more comments. How can you say DOJ without spitting? A lot of practice. What up from Seabus? I don't know if you know who that is. That name sounds familiar. It's a cool name either way, but I think I think I know the person. Rest in power, Aaron Schwartz. Uh, same person writes Rest in Power, Michael Hastings. You mentioned Michael Hastings a few times. You mentioned Aaron Schwartz. I know them both. Uh, tell us about Michael Hastings a little more, if you don't well, mind. Well, the thing about what the main thing about Michael Hastings that people need to know is that he was uh, to some extent openly and also covertly. Uh, involved in Anonymous uh, through me. Uh, in fact, he was integral to us uh, when, when I first be, began actively involved with Anonymous from the Anonop server, uh, working with, on, with, on Tunisia, which had just begun. Um, he, he uh, you know, we had Tunisian nationals and Tunisian exiles uh, in the server, and, they, and the, the, the revolt in Tunisia had been going on and been spreading for days. It had not gotten any press whatsoever uh, in the West. Uh, and so, uh, uh, one, and one, one of the Tunisians who was in country, uh, it goes by Sl Slim 404, Slim Amanu. He's a very, he calls himself a soft power alchemist, quite correctly. But uh, he, he was, you know, kind of a leader in that. And uh, a lot of help was given to, to the Tunisians. Some of the, some of the same stuff is being done uh, for Ukraine right now, except uh, uh, without, well, I'll go into that later. But, uh, and Hastings, you know, is the one that you can, you can trace as you can look and see. He is the one who, who got, uh, the attention on the revolution using using anonymous and the novelty of it the, no, the novelty of anonymous uh uh taking down tunisian government websites and uh providing and taking down some of their 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 cyber police networks basically their dig digital uh forensics people and uh and also providing a a uh, a, uh you know a, a code uh to prevent uh the takeover or infiltration of, of facebook groups uh, facebook uh accounts used by organizers, you know, back then to prevent them from being identified and tortured. Slim Amanu, who was, who was in that channel in Anonops, uh, was identified and tortured and held, he, he said, he doesn't call it torture, but it, the UN definition is, and held for four or five days. And then he was released uh, uh, as the Ben Ali regime fled and, and then became, uh, he joined the provisional government. So that was our first Anon uh, cabinet minister back when that was a, a good thing to have. Uh, Michael Hastings, yeah. So Michael Hastings was was integral to making sure that this revolution was shown as what it was, because as we all know, information warfare, uh, you know, is 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 all warfare is ultimately stems from information warfare, and all war all warfare is, is stems from information. If you don't know who the enemy is, or if you think the enemy is something else, you know, whatever. If you you know, so. He, he made sure that uh, in the face of people like Pamela Geller and others, some of the, the big Islamophobe types who just, who, that, that it, 
people, some, some people are going to paint this as a as Islamic, you know, Islamic, Islamic fundamentalist revolt, which it certainly was not. Uh, Tunisia is not even that much of an Islamic, Islamist, you know, fundamentalist country. Uh, but anyway, uh, Hastings was involved in that and some other things. He was early early member of Project PM, my group that was later a criminal organization. Uh, he uh, he uh, he uh, had me call him a few weeks uh, you know, after the Snowden revelations. Uh, you know, and, and we had a conversation about you know how it was now going to be easier to 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 bring attention to the things that we had been looking into. Uh, he was looking into the uh, Brennan, one of the CIA director at the time, and a few other subjects. And also, my case, he was going to be coming down to interview me about some of the things that had gone unreported that we had discovered about the FBI networks that had been involved in in my case and Schwartz's. And uh, you know, but one of his last appearances was on the Young Turks the show. This is the one names after. And there's a, there's a clip there. Uh, of him talking about, you know, about surveillance and how he feels he's being surveilled. Uh, and that, you know, now that the FBI has my phone, you know, they have all his messages to me. Uh, and again, he goes on to say, and this is, this is very sad. He goes on to say, you know, I'm not saying that I'm under surveillance, you know, but, you know, people like Barrett Brown and all that, but, you know, but I have had, you know, it's almost an afterthought, I, but I have had people tell me I am, a, you know, special forces contacts and all that. And it's, it's sad because, you know, uh, so Michael Hastings is a guy who would like when he would email me, you know, something like I got a big story coming tomorrow that that ended up being the Rolling Stone piece that took down General McChrystal. Like he's he was. He was among the few those journalists in the U.S. who were really very, very dangerous. Uh, Overturn it rocks. I mean, no generals ever yes. go down by a general yeah, in this country. Afghanistan. That doesn't happen. Stanley McChrystal. That was a huge story. Yeah. And he went back to Afghanistan and did another story on uh, Army PSYOPs, uh, Army general uh, using PSYOPs on uh, visiting senators, U.S. senators, like PSYOPs techniques. Uh, this is the kind of thing that, you know, we were all worried about uh, how it all connected. Um and uh, yeah, he was he was a fantastic person. Uh, I knew I met him in 2009 uh, through a mutual or through a, through a guy who was a fan of his, and we wrote for the same deal. Uh, I blurbed his I blurbed his book, his last book uh, on the back cover there with Frank Rich or somebody. Uh, and uh, he think he blurbed was going to blurb mine. Uh, did blurb the one that was published when I was in prison. Uh, and uh, he was definitely being investigated by the FBI and the intelligence community. There's no doubt about it. And, and my, his connection to me was just, was just part of it. I mean, this was a, this guy was a big, heavy, big boy. You, well, beyond me. Um, and the really sad thing about his death is that, um, you know, the FBI denied having any files on him uh, and any interest in him whatsoever. Uh, then some FOA, FOIA requests were done and it turned out, oops, yeah, here's some articles. They were interested uh, in the reporting he did uh, on the, uh, um, Bergdahl, that the private that fled, uh, went AWOL in Afghanistan, and then and that and then oops, it turns out uh, there's actually a lot more documents they have on them, and some of them uh, were discussed openly in my gag order hearing, uh, and that's one of the things that I've been put to putting out for years, years and years, and uh, you know, there's a, my FBI agent, uh, Agent Smith, uh, the one I threatens to investigate him and uh, and do all the Aaron Barr tactics to him, the tactics that HP Gary was going to use against activists and all that. I threatened to do all that to him, um, which I you know which I should have. Uh, he he testifies there, and that's and these these documents are public on having you know he listened to all the phone conversations I have with all, every journalist, everyone, and names them all, and refers to having the, the recordings and and notes, two sets of notes. And that included my conversations with Michael Hastings. So just from there, yeah, uh, they were listening the whole time. They were recording. Oh well, yeah, so certainly, but listening and taking notes, and and you know, 
put him in a gag order over it. And uh, so j just from that, without even going into the emails between myself and Michael Hastings, uh, that would be of huge interest to the DOJ. I and mean, they had my emails for a year before, access to them a year before I was arrested. They had a secret search warrant and our messages and all that. Him being mentioned, you know, in my Vanity Fair article on him as a member of Project PM, which remember, everyone who contributed to that website was investigated, was pursued. There was a, another, another subpoena for everyone who, who uh, contributed to it. Again, everyone who donated, donated to my legal fund mm. was legally subpoenaed, identified. The idea that Michael Hastings would not on their radar and that they and that, you know, they've already been caught lying several times, the FBI, about having documents on him and all that. And uh, another FBI request showed internal communications that Mueller was himself uh, got involved when the press started asking questions after his death. Um, this is one of the things that was unfortunate because Mueller was seen by many, you know, by, by the time I got out of prison <laughs> as the one who was going to save us from Trump <laughs> and investigate the, the election. Clean hands. And that didn't quite work out. And in yeah. fact, what Mueller ended up doing was Mueller Cover ended up, up um, well, just to give you, this is, a, this is another great example of, of how this stuff works. Uh, the Mueller Commission, you know, in 2017, they leaked to the Washington Post and a couple other outlets that they were looking into a couple of firms. One of them, was, one of them's called White Canvas Group, was co-founded by Michael Flynn. Another was uh, Flynn Intel Group, which obviously founded by Michael Flynn as well. Um, it in 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 relation to the Mueller Mueller Commission, which you know was not just about Russia; it was about any interference in the election. And that was reported, and then you never heard about these firms again. And uh, and the reason for that. And I predicted this at the time, a number of places. I said these firms, you know, their their, their role in this, in the role of several other firms like Palantir and Archimedes Global, um, they will be discovered. They'll be they'll be mentioned, and then as soon as someone uh, at the FBI like realizes yeah. what the connections are, like Mueller has a whole speech on the FBI website, you know, where he's bragging about his his over over controlling Sabu and taking control of Anonymous, doing that hack and arresting six hackers, which apparently includes me. Um, uh, they protected these firms and these firms like Stratford that I wonder, was, was having secret meetings with uh, General Flynn in 2010 and then probably thereafter. Uh, so the FBI and a Mueller or anyone was never going to really look into the companies like Palantir and all that, that they did, that they violated, that they committed crimes in defense of to protect their own secrets. And so these firms, that's why Palantir, when you, uh, you know, when you see it mentioned in the press, it's very, very few mentions of it being caught in New York, you know, the fact that the New York Times even reported, you know, just that one day that, oops, you know, Palantir was caught involved in this in this election interference. And, oh, they claim you know, they claimed that they weren't. These documents show they were. Oh, well, it turns out there was just one one of our employees just went off and did the same excuses they used in 2011 when we caught them in four different lies. So it's it's a sad affair. But uh, again, my track record, uh, I, I do put that forward, uh, you know, in asking people to please pay, even if it's cumbersome. Uh, to pay attention to the things that, um, that I've been putting out the last few weeks and today and, and, and in, the, in the near future, because uh, that it, it is a difficult position to be in where you have to say, hey, I know the truth about all these world affairs. And, hey, I had a role in these things. And, hey, you know, my villains like Peter Thiel, you know, they're the real villains of the world. I was right. It's not something that, uh, you know, a society like ours, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's not something that uh, you can communicate. Uh, without, you know, resulting in a, in a good deal of uh, uh, either just, just being being laughed off or uh, considered a megalomaniac. I am a megalomaniac um, and I have no problem taking, you know, taking credit for things. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is uh, it wasn't just me that that 
could have stopped, could have saved a lot of things from happening, including the big ice roundups, everything Trump did, everything Palantir is going to do. And it's, it's uh, Andurl, Andy No, the alt right, all the people that we now have direct connections to, to Peter Thiel. Uh, there's a lot of people uh, and a lot of them sacrificed a lot. And uh, I would hate to think that these sacrifices and the, the ones that are still going on uh, are for nothing. I would like to think that the public uh, has the wherewithal and the press has the wherewithal and sometimes it's the courage and, and, and the sense of responsibility to, uh, to start going into these things because uh, just what Palantir has been caught doing and, and, and still pushing on with, that should be enough to freak anyone out. Uh, and you start adding to that the hundred other things. Uh, and, and then you, you add in that we don't know everything. You know, we haven't caught everybody. Uh, it's scary. So and we can so we can better get to that deal stuff uh, and, and still connect these other issues. I think if you want to show the screenshots now, of, yep. uh, we here's another one, uh, a question too. I want to ask you real quick. Hey, Barrett, I was curious about your thoughts on various anonymous accounts on Twitter, like Anon News, posting about the Ukraine conflict. Big ups yep. on the recent Thiel stuff. Two interesting reads. What, what's your comment on those Twitter accounts that are huge that have a lot of followers? Yeah, so that's 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 very important. Uh, so it's it's wonderful that uh, the infrastructure and, and the ID of, of, of Anon, uh, you know, the major the Anon News are, are helping to oversee this digital uh, uh, warfare against Russia. I've been anti-Putin for, for 20 years. I was anti-Putin back when Thomas Friedman of The New York Times was writing columns about how Putin was going to be a savior of democracy and then won a Pulitzer for those columns. And, and when Friedman, Friedman in 2005 mocks the U.S. intelligence community for for spying on Russia, like wondering what, you know, has, is there anything you really want to know about Russia? Uh, you know, I was I've, I've been very anti-Putin and I wrote an article that Stratford actually illegally used without my permission, sent out to its paper subscribers about a, about a year before I went to prison over over that. Uh, I wrote a whole article about the FSB and Putin and his rise to power and the riots and the bombings in 1999 and the part the FSB played in that false flag attack. Uh, incidentally, I'm also glad that uh, in the last couple of weeks, the reports of the Russians potentially using false flag attacks in Ukraine to facilitate their war. I'm glad that 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 has gotten back in the stream because now it is it's, you know, a lot of people in the press, people, they forget. They, they think that false flag attacks are something that Alex Jones made up uh, or that, you know, or that just can't happen. It don't make any sense, even though you can. These are, you know, false flag attacks are some things that happen in middle school, really, to some extent, like, you know, it's, it's just doing something to blame on somebody else. It's a very simple thing and it's very effective. Um, anyway, so I'm so I'm anti-Putin. I have also been investigated as a Russian agent by the FBI. And I know that from several sources, including my lawyers. And also there's an article by one of the people who were involved in tormenting and doing disinformation about us, uh, who was interviewed, who was met with an FBI agent with, with some kind of intelligence clearance, intelligence aspect, like an FBI, a special FBI agent, uh, and wrote about this on his site, chronicle.su, which also includes lots of uh, fake articles written under my name. Um, and he goes into his meeting with this FBI agent, and, uh, and some of the details in there are such that I, I know he's not making it up because he, he, he mentioned some things that he would not be aware of that the FBI was looking into, uh, and, and some incidents involving some hacks that the FBI was originally going to use against me before they realized that I could prove that the hacks were actually done by, by uh, government. Um, anyway, so 
and I also need my lawyer. I mean, I've been going to Russia today for a long time. So in, in, in the FBI's defense, there were a lot of people who came who were working for the Russians without knowing it. Again, these are influence networks. It's very easy. Right. There were those who were working for the Russians, you know, openly with, you know, Russia Today or Sputnik. And and that, you know, those are very different outlets, but they both essentially are, you know, when it comes down to it, arms of the Russian, of uh, the Kremlin, Sputnik especially. Um, and it's, you know, again, I'm, I hope that Russia, you know, I hope Russia is uh, has its armies obliterated here, and I hope a lot of Russian soldiers, uh, if need be, I hope they die. Uh, and I and I hope and I have friends that are going down to the to to U- Ukraine to the border to assist with people uh, part of the anarchist community in, in London who are going over. Uh, other friends who just came back from from uh, the Kurdish uh, autonomous zones as well. I've got a lot of interesting friends here in, in London since uh, since getting here. It's a great city. Anyway, having said that. Uh, Right now, what's going on with Anonymous uh, and that you're a non-news account, which is the central mode of its infrastructure, and with uh, a lot of the other, uh, some of the individuals who've been around for a while, uh, they have been co-opted by the intelligence community and the FBI. And we know that uh, through various means. um, And that's a problem. And it's, it's not a problem because, you know, we don't want people going after Russia. We do. I sure, you know, I certainly do. Um, it's a problem because when you get in bed with the FBI or the CIA, the outcomes are not always what you might expect them to be. And that's something that, again, it's one of those things that's seemingly obvious, but it's one, but it's one of those seemingly obvious things that like even very intelligent, you know, put together people uh, need to be reminded of sometimes. Uh, the CIA has a long history, even of its, when it, aside from, from the, the, demented nature of many of its goals over the past, you know, since its creation has done much, sometimes the opposite of what it intended to do. And the FBI, uh, Jesus Christ, I mean, um, yeah, it's, there are better ways to, uh, to commit heroic deeds and to assist countries in need than to work uh, under the, uh, the clandestine uh, control of people who we know and can prove are uh, active intelligence members, and you're on non-news, which has which blocked me, uh, and has, and also blocked uh, Karma. The other uh, blocked, you know, blocked Karma about a year ago for when Karma asked about Kurtaner and his neo-Nazi stuff and FBI ties. They blocked him. Kurtaner, by the way, I should I should have noted is has ten year, fifteen year history of making racist, anti-Semitic remarks. Some of them, I mean, just even even beyond what you expect from a from a, a dumb teenager, you know, a white hacker kid. Uh, I mean, up until like, n- not like a long time ago, I'm saying they, these continue until a year ago. Uh, so it's all, it's all the more uh, frightening that they're not one of the, one of these articles that came out in a, in a British outlet uh, a few months ago, rolling out Kurtaner claims that he was inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement. And so was his, his partner, Elizabeth Shaw. It, it's, it's frightening how, uh, how well they've done to co-opt, um, to co-opt and to present these these people uh, using the press, like Vice, which did, did a documentary, a little documentary on Kurtaner, which so forth. It's it's frightening and disturbing uh, the implications of that. Uh, you know, people. There's a website that uh, the Internet Hope Machine that Kurtaner has, was involved in setting up, and that was being pointed to by these, some of these articles. And that's that's where activists should go sign up. Uh, BLM activists, any any black person whatsoever, uh, any activist. Uh, does not need to be directed to uh, to give their information 
and to work under uh, someone who is himself a Nazi in many ways and who is demonstrably, according to all accounts, including those close to him, working with one of the, the most capable Nazi leaders of our age, Andrew Arnheimer, Weave, that man right there with the swastika. Uh, so let's get to that. Let's get to Weave. Tell us about it. And I'm I'm gonna step up and uh, I think my girlfriend's here. My dog's about to start barking, so I'm I'm gonna let you take over. And I'm just okay. gonna get up for a second. I want to let people know I'm not walking off on the convo. I'm totally into this. I just want to make sure my dog doesn't ruin it. So tell us that. about this guy, Andrew uh, Weave. I first met Weave in 2007. Uh, he was an editor at Encyclopedia Dramatica, which was you know. It's kind of the way I learned about, you know, 4chan and B and all this whole, all this internet culture that I had been entirely ignorant of having sort of lost touch with the internet, you know, over the years prior. Uh, and I found it all very interesting and, and I found all the whole culture very, uh, potentially very powerful because of the ways in which they, they organize these raids out of nothing emergently, you know, they were you know raiding video games and all that. But uh, I predicted and so did a lot of military individuals and, and intelligence community. Uh, over time, that this would lead that this 4chan stuff, these chans and these emergent groups and these this identity they were creating for themselves, uh, and their emerge their ability to emerge to emerge uh, to quickly uh, bring people in and put them to use in a in uh, in a decentralized way. I knew that was going to be a powerful thing. That's why I kept kept close tabs on 4chan and there was it was in a position to write about anonymous, uh, you know, in the years leading up to uh, you know especially when Scientology kicked off and then in Tunisia, Australia. That's what that's what got me brought into Anonymous in the first place. One of the articles I wrote in 2010 you know, by Greg Housh and some of the other people who still control uh, a lot of the Anonymous infrastructure. Anyway, so I knew we through there. Didn't didn't think much of him. Uh, was obviously a bad person in a lot of ways, a troll. Uh, funny sometimes, you know, uh, and, and was good at helping to compile and create internet drama. Um, I did, I did a little operation with him that he named Operation Ruin, where the, the strategy was, this was again, in, in sort of information war, war gaming for those of us who knew our futures would be in that direction. Uh, the purpose was to find individuals of, of, that we uh, opposed for some reason who were not so well known that we couldn't get the Encyclopedia Dramatica page we created for them. Uh, to be a, or one of the top results for their name. So Mitchell Wazanski, who was a Dallas City Councilman, had come to the Dallas City Council a few years back and denounced a local Eagle Scout for building bat uh, bat homes, houses in one of the parks. And so this old, white, kind of just not quite with it uh, Councilman who was vastly incompetent, he came to the City Council wearing vampire teeth and gave a speech and denounced the kid as Dracula and said, our so stuff like, well, you, you can you can see the, the Encyclopedia Dramatic article is still up. So I, I compiled all those quotes and put it there on page. And then Weave's contribution there was just to put was to Photoshop him into vintage gay pornography, which was that was Weave's one of Weave's uh, favorite things to do. So, you know, that was so that was the, the bulk of my interaction with Weave. Uh, and then I I I stopped hanging around Encyclopedia Dramatica in the years to come. And, you know, by 2010, 2011, you know, I was running Project PM uh, and then brought into Anonymous, the activist portion, had no dealings with Weave, who was not an activist. Uh, Weave started attacking me uh, publicly on Twitter in the weeks before my arrest. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I imagined that was probably because, you know, because he likes to do that, because he, he likes to, to do damage to people. And he knew I was about to, you know, he knew I was under fire. And uh, so he, he made spread claims that I live with my mother 
uh, that I was a heroin addict, which was, you know, is several years out of date. I'm a Suboxone, was a Suboxone addict, hmm. uh, and so forth. And those, and I later saw some people close to belief spread those same rumors. Uh, and unfortunately, some of them made their way into the anonymous legal defense community. Uh, anyway, so, so when I was in prison, Weave was, Weave was prosecuted as well at some point for uh, exposing an error with AT&T or Apple or something, some kind of thing that wasn't even a hack, and it was an unjustified prosecution. So he was rolled into this category uh, quite incorrectly of uh, hack, hacktivists who were out there that were important and doing great things. Uh, I mean, Weave wasn't trying to help anybody. We, we was not an activist at any point. Uh, and I was in I didn't realize this. I was in prison, but uh, he was had become was becoming a neo-Nazi. Uh, and this was and this was known to some extent by people who were around him out there. And and, uh, you know, there's a documentary that was made called Hacker Wars that has it's about me and Jeremy Hammond and Weave. Weave was easier to get footage of because Hammond and I were both still already in prison and Weave wasn't yet. He was being prosecuted. So. You know, between that and a New York, New York Times op-ed that, that bizarrely enough uh, compared both me and Weave to Socrates, uh, you know, well-intended, just not paying close attention. Uh, you know, he was he had an unusual position. He was a he was a prosecuted activist with a lot of street cred who knew a lot of these anonymous people, including the defendants in the PayPal deal, because a lot of these people, frankly, you know, are were trash. Some of the ones who were prosecuted, you know, for DDoS. Doesn't didn't make him a hero. Some of them turned and flipped. You know, I know this because I was uh, basically in charge of putting together the legal defense back in 2011, uh, and that's when I brought in uh, you know Jay Lederman, who who you know was a great lawyer who died also died last year in weird circumstances, and another lawyer named Stanley Cohen, uh, who who defended Mercedes Heifer. Uh, and Stanley was a strange guy. He had me meet him once in New York when I went up there uh, after I you know, and he told me I was going to get charged with a with RICO Act. It was a weird interaction. Uh, and anyway, he fits into this too. So I'm, that's making a point of pointing out. So Stanley Cohen, uh, if we go, if we go back to the conversation here, Stanley Cohen is, is the lawyer who represented Mercedes Heifer. Mercedes Heifer here again, knows Weave and is friends with him because again, Mercedes Heifer, I'm going to be honest here. This is one of the people that I, you know, got lawyers for and didn't want to be prosecuted, was very upset about the, about the way they were raided, uh, heavily armed raids over, over a DDoS on, on PayPal and Amazon uh, in support of WikiLeaks, uh, she's white trash. I'm sorry, she is, and a terrible person. And anybody who wants to get a sense of, of her character, uh, they can see the tweets that she put out, which have been deleted since, but we've have since put back up, in which she talks about how she and Stanley Cohen, that lawyer I'm just talking about, who will figure into this in a bit, uh, you know, don't like me and hate me, and and uh, and how I'm I am indeed uh, am indeed. Uh, guilty of credit card theft, and that this was widely known, which of course, you know, the credit card charges were dropped by the DOJ even. No one believed this. Um, not even the DOJ believed it. And no one, even only the DOJ and a few other uh, people who turned out to be FBI cooperators even believed this, you know, even claimed it. I mean, claimed it. Um, and so here's this is conversation. I just, I, I, I received this conversation a few months ago, but I didn't get around to reading it and realizing what it was until like a couple of weeks back. And when I did, uh, a lot of things clicked about Peter Thiel, Omid Yar, Glenn Greenwald, Weave, uh, and so forth. And what this is, 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 um, is Andrew Arnheimer, Weave, Andrew Arnheimer, Arnheimer is his name. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's German. So screw it. Uh, 
he, he he not he does not yet he's not yet the head of the Daily Stormer. He's not yet the admin for Daily Stormer. He's not yet a well-known Nazi figure, but he is a known kind of piece of shit and all that. But you know, uh, is is inexplicably retains friendships with a lot of people in the community, including Larry Love here, up until 2017 when when you know he was finally told by people you know by my, my fiance actually Sylvia Man like to to you need to stop. You know, um, you, you stop dealing with this neo-Nazi. Um, and this gets into something else I'm going to have to go into. It's going to be difficult because it involves just, you know, some poor judgments that have made. Anyway, this is Mercedes Heifer being approached by Weave on behalf of Pierre Omidyar, uh, who it, 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 it becomes clear for it very early on here uh, is also dealing with uh, Peter Thiel. Now, people, people who don't know, Pierre Omidyar yeah. is the guy so who Omidyar, yeah. started the Intercept. He 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 worked with uh, Jesse Ventura, right? I mean, this guy's a billionaire, right? Just like Peter Thiel is a billionaire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the other thing about Omidyar that was a problem for for him uh, is that he had he had tie, he was already known to have ties to the intelligence community, and he was already known to have tweeted out and said stuff about how these whistleblowers should be or traitors and should be prosecuted. Right. So. That made things really awkward for Omidyar and Greenwald and everybody else who was ready to get these this five hundred million dollars started startup uh, outlet, you know. And again, I want to make sure, make clear I don't know, and would love to know, but he won't answer my questions anymore, you know. As is the case with most of these people that we're talking about, I would love to know what Greenwald knew and what he didn't know um, at the very, and maybe we'll never know. But the, I, I have a ch- I, have, I have a feeling that we'll we'll learn more. I've gotten more of Greenwald's. Like you know, I protected Greenwald. He was one of the ones targeted by that Themis thing that Thiel that Thiel's company went after. I've worked for Greenwald. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, and I've I've gone after Greenwald pretty fiercely for the last several years ever since. You've I, gone after him, but at one point he was your hero, right? He was my he, just like Jonas Assange. He was my hero, uh, and I knew him before the anonymous stuff. He, uh, the article I wrote about Hastings defending him for Vanity Fair. Uh, Greenwald, you know, on his blog, he. he we posted that and, uh, you know, and, and I, we struck up correspondence uh, and helps uh, helps. He helps defend Hastings, too, from the, the criticisms he was getting in him and Andrew Sullivan. And uh, it, was, it was to me, it was, it was tremendous. that I got to talk to him. He was my he was my hero. Yeah, he's uh, he a was, lot of our heroes. I mean, I, yeah, I, I thought absolutely. he was great back then, too. Now I'm now I'm absolutely. shocked at what I see. Yeah. And that's and there's more to that, of course. Um, anyway, so so this conversation is essentially. Pierre Omidyar, Pierre Omidyar and Peter Thiel, uh, they've now gotten control of Weave. Uh, Omidyar, Weave reveals here that he's known Omidyar for a while. He met him through someone. He doesn't say who it was. It's quite, you know, uh, there's some, some possibilities I'm not going to go into because it, it's not that important right now. Uh, and there's, but but it, uh, I know some of the people who were at the, some parties that occurred uh in 2013, 2014. And so I can, we can probably figure out exactly who made that, uh, who, 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 who gave Weave to Omidyar. Uh, but then we also, and we also see Weave here attesting that he has a meeting the next tomorrow with uh, Peter Thiel's, Peter Thiel's right-hand man. I don't know who that would refer to um, at that point. And uh, we don't have to take Weave's word for it, um, luckily, because a few years ago, uh, Ryan Mack of BuzzFeed uh, who I've, I've been a source for on, on Thiel in, in the past, uh, as I have for a couple of other journalists and for Thiel's biographer. Uh, he found, he, he and his partner, I forgot the name of the other journalist, they found uh, documents and so forth uh, showing that Peter Thiel had indeed been backing Weave financially 
for years. Just, just to remind, just to, just to, just to reiterate, uh, backing him for years, going on to you know, apparently probably the present day. This is years during which Weave is running the Daily Stormer. This is during which Weave is right here uh, telling the PayPal 14 as sort of led by Mercedes, the one who was most photogenic. Um, you know, it was, wasn't a photogenic bunch, you know, so uh, she got to be in the documentaries and stuff that we were on, like We Are Legion. Here he is telling them, telling her that these attacks, these criticisms of what they refer to as the, the PayPal mafia, that's, that's, that's Weave's terms, other people's terms too, Pierre Amadiar and, and uh, Peter Thiel and a few others, you know, just to back off them, to stop attacking them. And if you, you have to read this, read the whole thing because he goes through different iterations of threats, implied threats, and, and carrots. There's carrots and sticks here. Um, and I didn't know about this. And I would have loved to have known about this. And I really would. And I want to, I really very much wonder what Stanley Cohen, the lawyer I got for Mercedes and who kind of fronted a lot of this and, and, and got, a, you know, got a lot of clout as a result of, of his, you know, involvements in, in, in all these things. I would like to know if he learned about it. Uh, I would like to know, you know, who Mercedes told and when, uh, how long this has been floating around. Uh, I, I have had people like Joe Fionda, again, who I mentioned long very solid guy who's been on top of a lot of this uh, and who, of course, uh, has been, you know, like a lot of us, has been suspended from Twitter over it. You know. He's commenting now. Joe, Joe just uh, commented. Oh, Peter yeah, Theo, yeah. right-hand man equals Jeff, yeah. something, so, Daily Stormer contributor. Yeah. So Joe Fionda is somebody who, uh, he is one of several people that know where a lot of the bodies are buried in terms of all of this stuff. I mean, including Ukraine, Russia, the U.S., uh, Anonymous. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he, he's, a, he's encyclopedic knowledge of, of, of a number of his, his issues, uh, including stuff that I don't. And he would be able to, uh, he'd make a great guest, number one, for, for the future. And, all, and number two, he is uh, a vastly important source of information which is why he's brought up in that FBI recording uh, that I talked about, the FBI meeting. Uh, anyway, so what we have here is is what happened uh, on a larger scale in a, way, in a way that I'm just now in the last year coming to understand uh, to Anonymous, to the to, uh, to WikiLeaks and around it, to the Transparency Activist community, to everything that could have been a, a, that was a potential threat to Teal and to the FBI and to the CIA and so forth. And, and their converging interests, which is that either they were attacked, you know, either they were co-opted, either they were dissuaded or they were conned. They were sent, you know, by somebody they you know, liked. Uh, they were, you know, paid. Paid, uh, I think that you can, see, you can see all kinds of iterations here uh, into becoming part of what amounts to the Dark Enlightenment, you know, Peter Thiel Influence Network. The Dark Enlightenment, we used that term earlier. I want people, people should look it up later. Peter Thiel didn't coin the term, but he wrote an essay on it, uh, and it is a neo-feudalistic, technocratic, uh, anti-democratic uh, philosophy that that appeals to a lot of people who are like kind of intelligent uh, and have and kind of understand like the issues with democracy, uh, which is a lot of people, uh, mostly white, uh, and uh, it it is a uh, it's a thing that that has, yeah, it, it is. Oh no! It's 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 a you want to you want light in light. Uh, Did Ian, I spell it wrong? Ian. How do you yeah, spell that? You're, it's you're one of those the, words. It's one of those words where it could go wrong at any time. You know. So uh, how do I how do I spell this? Yeah, it's telling me actually. I mean, can your computer tell you? The, the computer it does, does usually, but it's not. It's okay, not well, it's E N L I G H T 
M-E-N-T-E-N-T. Enlightenment. I thought I had that right then. I don't know. You almost did. You just left out two letters. I, um. Anyway. Oh, I see. Enlighten. E-N. So the other thing that's very telling about this particular exchange and this incident, aside from the fa- aside from the fact that you know I have no knowledge of it, uh, there's a couple things. One is that Mercedes Hyper's uh, lawyer Stanley Cohen uh, is, you know, aside from associated with Stanley Hyper back then, uh, Mercedes Hyper uh, is now a lawyer for a lot of people at DDoS uh, and a lot of people surrounded him, and is also someone that has uh, recently uh, blocked me as well, just like your anon news did. Uh, called me a snitch without going into details and uh, uh, and uh, also uh, you know w- was found to be putting out uh, this information about me publicly back in 2013 2014 uh, and privately uh, for reasons I don't understand uh, I even I even asked about my guy out of prison because people pointed out to me it was really weird Stanley Cohen is it plays a major part in in the the infiltration uh, and co-option uh, of the what we call what I call the transparency uh, activist activist movement, anonymous WikiLeaks, blah blah, and my groups. Uh, and so among the people that you know, uh, as you can see, oh, yeah, as you can see at the end of this conversation, you know, Mercedes agrees to change the statement, and and uh, uh, I've had a chance. Someone should probably go and take a look and try to figure out more about specifically what was said and all that. Uh, and someone should track down Mercedes um, and, and a lot of other people. But of course, again, as I've said before. Most people aren't talking. Uh, a situation I'm, I'm more than more than used to dealing with, and more than happy to deal with, uh, as I, as Greg House knows now. Um, and the next person uh, that we know of to have been co-opted to be used by Peter Thiel to to da- to do damage to uh, transparency, to the public knowledge, and to entrap and destroy activists. The next person who was uh, recruited to do that was me. Uh, I was the intercept. Uh, Grinwald had me call him uh, from prison uh, after my sentencing. Uh, I've been writing a column for D Magazine, my hometown city paper, city magazine that had gotten very popular. Uh, prison, it was being retweeted by you know people from Monty Python, with John Cusack, um, you know, lots of media people uh, already, even though it was, even though it was a, on a blog on a local city website, because I do my best writing in prison. Um, and uh, and yeah, and he offered me a job running for the Intercept, and you know, two thousand dollars a column, you know, a month. So I mean, I was making more money there in prison than I ever had in my life because I've you know, I've, I've never been financially very successful, even you know, and I had not, even even aside from the drug addiction stuff that you know, even if I was stone cold sober, I would still not be a very financial financially sound person. But anyway. The purpose of having me, and, and, and I can tell you this about Dylan Greenwald. I mean, the last emails I sent to Greenwald before my, after I was raided by the FBI, before I went to prison, were just saying, "Hey, and man, just, just, you know, just, you know, uh, other journalists are being are being targeted. You know, this USA Today reporter just got targeted by this company. It's an intelligence contractor. They went after him in these weird ways, and this stuff's going to happen a lot, and uh, it's it's going to be a big problem. And persona management, these, these social network bots." And Palancer, these things are going to be are very dangerous. They're, and someone's got to, you know, to tend to them. And I and I, I'm going to prison, and so I can't. So please, and I, I've published these emails since then, and they're on my Medium account. And I'll I'll, re, I'll post a link on my Twitter account. Never got a reply. Remember, this is a guy I've been talking to for, for years. Anyway, and he didn't say a word after I was uh, raided. Didn't say a word after I was arrested. It wasn't until a few months after that when Kevin Gallagher is now dead and Lauren Pespiza, who, who brought me on the show here. 
it was with Roger Pinham, uh, went and lobbied him. And basically, you know, as I was getting, as they were helping uh, and Michael Hastings were helping to get me better known, make people understand what, what my case was about, uh, that it wasn't about me threatening to kill an FBI agent, you know, that obviously something had preceded that, you know, uh, you know, Michael Hastings, you know, had posted my search warrant, you know, in BuzzFeed didn't help, didn't matter. A lot of people didn't know when I was arrested, just didn't understand uh, what it was that I've been investigating and why it was this was happening and why it was that my mom was being threatened to begin with and why I thus threatened FBI agent back. Uh, but as that became better understood after I was charged with the Stratford stuff, uh, you know, Kevin and, and, and Lauren and others were able to get, you know, they got Glenn Greenwald and went and had dinner with him, a picture of him. And he wrote an article uh, for the Guardian about me, and and uh, and that obviously helped quite a bit. But again, that was not until uh, it became uh, useful and you know uh, uh, popular to support me, because there was a there was a period there, you know, between my arrest in September 2012 and uh, a few months later when the when the DOJ made a big mistake and, and charged me over Stratford where the, the the notion was written about you know you can still see articles claiming i was a hacker best known for for ha article on reuters by joseph Min, joseph min actually the guy i talked about is now at uh now at the washington post the one who also uh uh conned kevin gallagher into giving him a portion of my manuscript to my upcoming book uh something something that i then had to talk with i mean anyway uh there was a lot of articles because I want to know when, when is your book coming out? Because I want to read this. Uh, so now it looks like so it's been pushed back over and over again. There's been obviously overtaken by events. I mean, it would have been a totally different book if it came out three years ago. Um, so it's good that it's been pushed back. A lot of it is because of uh, situations I was in. I was homeless for a while. I had a, I was in a relationship with someone with, with uh, uh, borderline personality disorder, which is which is very difficult. And uh, you know, I kind of got chased out of my hometown, the bomb threats and all that, and running things. So. And we're just not able to do it. Uh, and then I, uh, I, I turned in a version when I got to Antigua and felt safe adding some other stuff now, uh, some other sensitive stuff. And then they had me do just redo a final version. And I believe they, I, turned, I turned that in about a month and a half ago. It looks like uh, from what I saw the other day that it will come out in January uh, this coming year. So and yeah, and it'll be a portion of, of the story, you know, uh, a portion of it. Uh, it should be enough, I think. Uh, and the screenplay, the movie, you know, which, which we're doing with Alex Winter, hopefully that will be enough. I mean, I don't know what it's, what it's going to take, but uh, we'll just keep doing whatever. Uh, everything from threatening Greg House to putting out movies, you know, uh, as always, uh, whatever means necessary. Um, anyway, uh, uh, yeah, and uh, we, we, we're getting a lot of. It's funny, I. There's I mean, comments hit, who know who know some stuff, and there's a lot of people who know a lot about this. this some stuff. Uh, I mean, Julia, Joe Fiona is, is some. I don't know who this one is. If it's another, Joe yeah, I don't know who. Or I hit uh, I hit the wrong one sometimes. It's fine. It might, it's, it might be might be. Well, I won't name the person just if they don't want to be named. But it's my anyway. I mean, Joe Fiona, like I said, that's someone who knows everything about everything from what Russian intelligence, Ukrainian Ukrainian oligarchs, to. Um, to Boris Johnson's sexual proclivities uh, and the scan and and uh, some of his still unknown scandals uh, involving a hackerspace, you know, in the UK. I mean, he knows he's been around for a lot of things. Again, I me and him, kind of like Forrest Gump uh, in certain ways. Except, you know, some of this is our fault. We didn't just stumble into the history. You know, in some cases we ch chased it, and then it chased us. Anyway, so I was hired by the Intercept. I did not realize. I did not know who Peter uh, Pierre Magyar was. 
uh, certainly didn't know about his, you know, about his intelligence uh, connections. And, and a lot of those were still hidden until, you know, uh, until later on. And uh, Tim Sharik, who's, who's a friend of mine, uh, who did a great book on Booz Allen Hamilton a few years before Snowden came out, uh, you know, who was a Booz Allen Hamilton employee uh, and may have put it on the map. And, and, and in a year before, you know, me and Project PM, you know, discovered Booz Allen Hamilton going after some people and and wrote about them and all that. Uh, he, he wrote the book on them. He was he was very a pioneer in, in looking into the private intelligence sector and 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 how the NSA uses it as a extension of itself. Uh, he he's wrote written a great article on Pierre Majar's the, the additional intelligence uh, connections he has. So anyway, I was hired and was happily writing columns for what I thought was a, a dream job, uh, writing you know under Grin Greenwald's uh, you know leadership. And some editors they brought on from Harper's and so forth and uh, other places. And, you know, uh, I didn't know th there's a lot I still didn't know about, about a lot of things, uh, probably because I was in prison. And there's, you know, there's just a, there's a limited degree of ability to, to kind of notice things. Uh, you don't know what to ask about. And uh, so I didn't know John Cook was the first editor. John Cook was, was a guy, Gawker. He's one of the people I, I have a recording of me calling him. A couple of years back, and uh, or about a year ago, and him saying, "Oh, hey, Barrett, gotta go," and hanging up. Uh, he's one of the people who was caught working with the FBI uh, against uh, activists, including myself uh, and uh, and others. Uh, he was the first editor, which is at the Intercept, where he should. John Cook is someone who should not be near any any publication, much less one dealing whistleblower documents. And I didn't know that the Intercept uh, had hired was hiring Sam Biddle. Uh, I think was the only person. Uh, only, only journalist in any outlet of any notes to celebrate my uh, my sentencing, uh, and who was also involved in uh, helping to make that happen. He wrote an article uh, in conjunction with several known professed FBI cooperators, blaming anonymous for things that uh, I can show uh, were done to, by FBI cooperators to each other. Uh, it was the most bizarre thing ever, and I have I now actually have the correspondence between him and those FBI cooperators. And between uh, him and me, because he reached out to me about the article, uh, I wrote him like a 10 pages in response explaining, hey, be careful, this person works for H.B. Gary and submitted it and uh, didn't mention a thing about that, didn't use it, didn't want it, uh, didn't know he was working there. Certainly didn't know that, you know, my my street cred uh, as a whistleblower and activist who was willing to, to you know, go 100 years, you know, let his mom be taken down if necessary, uh, someone who was really militant about this, uh, that I was being used. Uh, to give street cred and uh, and you know deniability to something uh, that would then attract more and more whistleblowers to 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 send stuff and so uh, I certainly didn't know that Reality Winner, you know, a few years hence when she found documents about Trump and Russia and sent them the Intercept, I certainly didn't know that those documents would be handled by Sam Biddle, that's the guy I just got done talking about, uh, who has F longtime FBI connections. Uh, and who who was also on the on the uh, terrible men horrible men in media list that, that uh, was being thrown around during the Me Too movement, didn't know he would be handling those documents and bylined on the article that came out right around right when Roddy Winner was arrested, didn't know the guy that John Kiriakou uh, correctly blames for uh, selling him out to the to the uh, FBI, uh, didn't know he would be on working on those same documents. I certainly didn't know that a person who uh, now as of during the Black Lives Matter protests, like the big ones uh, in 2020, uh, took a took a new job 
as the spokesperson for the NYPD, surely didn't know he was working at the Intercept and was bylined on that story with those. That documents. is bizarro. Think about that. So, it's, it's and, and here's a really bizarre thing about this. And here's got, the thing that here's and here, here's the reason. Here's the reason. Quite frankly, I'm now very open about like you know like this will be this will this whole conflict will involve if necessary, and it is. This will involve a lot of things as they become necessary. Uh, because it's been several years since I pointed out some of this stuff. The Intercept had a fifth anniversary. You know, I quit the Intercept when I got out of prison. Uh, and then uh, my column moved to Vice, and then Vice published one, and then inexplicably did not reply to me again. And this is a column that I won the National Magazine Award for this column. I won the National, I won uh, the uh, National Writer, or the New York Writers Guild Award for it, and runner up for the National, uh, National Journalist Guild, and blah, blah. I mean, this was like this was a column that was worth having, um, and uh, the the you know vice uh, printed the first one, and then I guess someone there, maybe the one from the State Department, uh, you know, said, "Oh no, you don't run this guy." Uh, we we can find out. I guess we can we can talk to the uh, the editors there. I had uh, I've tried several times to ask them, and I'll uh, I'll name them as soon as I remember their names. And, and and we know they try to go after your money too. I mean, that's another thing they've been harassing. Oh, the money. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. The intercept. Yeah, the internet got, got a subpoena. My publisher got a subpoena. Uh, the subpoena just wasn't it's just harassment. Money. I mean, this is harassing the media. Yeah. It's basically, what they're doing. Yeah, and uh, and it's funny because, of course, you know, the Intercept. You know, that's the thing is the Intercept. Even even if even if you're sort of a creature, a, a creature of the private intelligence community, and has have these links to the FBI and DOJ, not everyone is aware of this. And so, and also, you know, so I, I think the DOJ people that sent that subpoena asking for my, they asked, demanding all my communications with the intercept, you know, from, from prison, including, you know, I had a prison email deal and since, uh, including my financial records, I don't think they knew that, uh, they could just pass Pierre Omidyar, you know, and well, yeah. Uh, again, having said that, I do think some of the, some of the editors there who would be involved in that, you know, would have not complied. Some of, some of them are guilty. Some of, some of the editors there, uh, as, as internal reports that the intercept commissioned, uh, have shown. And that Greenwald kept quiet about, um, you know, there was some some major poor judgments made by some of the editors there. They're still, I believe, I guess they're still there uh, in terms of the reality winner thing and other things. So, but uh, anyway, so yes, yeah, so the Intercept was was subpoenaed, uh, and the, uh, my publisher was subpoenaed, and uh, you know, and uh, I was also prevented uh, for about nine months, ten months by the DOJ from getting any income uh, uh, because they had to they had to figure out my restitution to Stratford. And so, and then we had to get lawyers involved to figure it out. Um, I, you know, anyway, I left the U.S. Uh, at some point after that. But uh, and I have no bank account, which is which is convenient. Um, so, uh, obviously, yeah. So I didn't know anything about the Intercept. I didn't know. I didn't know enough about Greenwald. I didn't know that Greenwald. You know that I didn't know about Omid Yar. I didn't. I didn't know that I was essentially uh, part of a honey trap, and that uh, I'm partly responsible by virtue of that. Uh, you know. I don't know to what extent, you know, uh, by winning them their, their first awards and all that. I don't know if if that mat if that matters in terms of what it attracted. I don't know, like you know, if it led, you know, any either Daniel Hale was prosecuted after one of the intercept or reality winner. I don't know if it led to the, if it helped to, you know, problem maybe not. I mean, maybe it was enough that Snowden and Greenwald were involved and and you know and and uh, blah blah and Laura Poitras and Laura Poitras is is a great person who who has been very helpfully very involved in getting out the truth about the intercept the last couple of years including leaking me doc leaking me some documents internal documents there that I then leaked uh she was the one that Stone originally came to um and that 
you know, uh, she teamed with Greenwald on. Anyway, I didn't know all this stuff. And this is a great, this is a great opportunity to remind everyone, including people that I'm going to be, that I'm going to be reaching out to in some, in some cases for the second time and in some cases for the first time, you know, uh, there's no shame, you know, in being tricked, even, even if you made a bad judgment call, uh, there's, you know, uh, there's no shame in having blood on your hands. There's no shame in having, having worked accidentally, uh, for, you know, for something terrible. Uh, I've done it. And, and, and uh, I've done it from, I did it from prison uh, on behalf of the agenda of a person who put me in prison. Um, I still, the column was still funny, you know, I'm glad that, you know, and uh, I'm glad I wrote it. Um, it was a great column. It. Uh, I would love, I wish I could, you know, other than the, other than the counterpunch, I really don't have many outlets that'll, that will run anything by me or mention me these days um, because I have been pretty vicious about this, the press stuff I've discovered. Uh, but uh, yeah, but the intercept is, is, it, it was named the intercept for a reason. Uh, same kind of thing that we do on our side of anonymous, where we give things some inside yeah. joke names and stuff. It's a, it's a form of, it's a form of power, kind of. It's a form of, uh, it's a form right of, of ritualistic. Yeah. yeah, it's like right um, in your face. Mind war. Going back to mind wars, info wars. It's it's this is all what it is. It's it's. So to you, speak. you get the info and present it to people, and this is what they don't like. I mean, it's we hear this all the time in the right wing media sphere where they prop up people like Alex Jones who are bullshit hours. They never give you any information. You actually deliver the information. You name names. You show instances. You show their emails. You go through. I mean, we've been doing this for two hours, and I don't even think we've cracked one tenth of what you've provided. So, <laughs> if people well, have that, questions. That, and, and- yeah, so people understand that the environment we live in. There, there's a re, there's a reason there's a reason that uh you know I went from winning those national magazine awards and 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 being interviewed. I mean, being covered every time I took a I took a bath one time on on, a, on webcam during a, through a press conference to make a point because supposedly the Zetas were to come kill me and I didn't think that was the case. So uh, their article outlets everyone that, that reported on that and everything else I did for years uh, in the awards. There's a reason that none of them. Uh, are going to mention stuff I put out, and there's, so there's a reason that I, I, I increasingly do th- things through proxies, uh, and even they have a hard time with it. Um, and uh, you know, that's, I'm not I'm not gonna, I'm not saying everyone who's successful in journalism, like very successful, is is bad or on the take because that's not true. I know I know a bunch I, I still deal with uh, at several outlets that are still successful uh, and are doing the right thing in a difficult environment. Even and there's some of the Intercept I've spoken to recently. Uh, you know that I've that I'm, I'm disappointed in uh, because they had they have the ability to uh, you know they have the ability to say these same things uh, you know with, uh, because they're not being prosecuted they're not being chased around the world they're not they're not under an asylum claim uh, they're not subjected to I mean their, their friends aren't dying uh, you know in, in uh, after being harassed by uh, people who have carte blanche uh, and they have so they have a little bit more opportunity than I do um, in time perhaps. Put these things out but they don't and that's a disappointment um but i still talk to some of them uh and there are great journalists out there working for all the outlets that are problematic i use problematic in the term like should i mean like probably should be destroyed um i don't use it in the usual term um there's people in new york times who's doing great work so on and so forth but the thing probably the fact of the matter is um in almost no case will you find uh journalists who are willing if they're if they're shown that their outlet or others at their outlet are doing something of exact opposite of what journalists should do uh and if you show them the evidence of that uh the odds of them blowing the whistle as it were doing the right thing 
uh, based on my experience, which has been extensive in the last few years, as I've gone through and confronted editors and all these outlets and journalists, uh, the odds are slim. It's like it's the like the cops. Slim. It's like the, the that's exactly the what line. I said. That. Exactly. Media, and media if you is, if you work for New York Times, you're not going to go against someone else from New York Times. It's and just, and, that's and that is that's just, that's the frightening thing is because people understand. I can make someone who doesn't understand for some reason. I can't make them understand why cops can't be trusted to police themselves. Why they pick their buddies? I can make people understand why the military will do that. Or all, um, when someone's livelihood and 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 self and belief in their self and their role in society and public image is at stake, it becomes very difficult to understand things uh, all of a sudden. And so again, we we have diplomacy for a reason, you know, and we have war for a reason. Uh, we have we have you know polite debates and discussions, just agreements for a reason. Uh, and we have me putting out uh, correspondence that uh, that will, you know, in careers for a reason. Uh, you know, my 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 preference is always that we that these things be be dealt with uh, honestly and and quickly and openly in a way that it, it helps the public. Uh, but again, as someone who, as I've said, uh, I've been through it all and I've I've lost friends in this. Uh, I'm I'm. Uh, um, I'm going to be perhaps more more active and more present and more public uh, in the months to come, uh, until such time as as I feel that the, the, the tide has turned. Because this 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 omerta in the press and, and some of the NGOs and all that uh, is too much. And that and that, again that applies to everyone. It applies to every single person I know. Uh, and 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 I, yeah. So I hope you keep it uh, up. Hope, hopefully we'll know, we'll know more you know soon about this. Um, so we haven't gotten yet to, I guess we could quickly talk about uh, Andy No and uh, Peter Thiel oh, yeah. and and Roger and, and Rogan, if we have time. I Definitely. don't know how much. We, okay. we got a few minutes. So I didn't care about Joe Rogan at all. I uh, didn't know very much about him uh, when I got out, you know, when I got out of prison or even or even when the scandal was going on. Uh, I did have a bunch, I saw a bunch of people, you can actually see on the Joe Rogan fan Reddit, subreddit, you know, uh, you can see it on YouTube. If you look up my name, Joe Rogan, tons of people were suggesting to his producers and among each other, like, oh, have on Barrett Brown. He's the type of guest. And I knew one thing about Joe Rogan uh, within pretty soon, pretty soon, within getting out, which is that one of his repeated guests was uh, Eric Weinstein, mm. head of Thiel, Thiel Capital. Yes, um, and I knew that to be suspicious because number one, he's head of a, of a capital investment firm. He's not a charismatic guy, not an interesting guy. He's not even a racist guy. He's going to say interesting racist stuff. He has none of the things that would make a Joe Rogan, you know, a Joe Rogan guest. But like a lot of people that we've now gone back and found uh, lists of uh, who, who have gotten their start with Joe Rogan, uh, in some part, like Andy No, uh, uh, you know. Uh, Eric Weinstein is a big part of the Thiel network. Uh, so I, I, uh, it wasn't until, so again, I, I don't get involved in these things where, you know, where, where the issue is that, you know, a white guy is using the N word in a different context. Uh, just not, not, you know, and, and neither, you know, a lot of the real militant black groups that I work with, again, there's, uh, that, that is, I mean, at, at the risk of, of sounding, uh, the risk of, of being prejudiced, that's white girl shit right there. Um, the the, extent, the 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 real things that are that are happening uh, to the black community, uh, yes, certainly that you know these kind of things that you know normalizing behavior these these are things to be addressed. But there's a pecking order of things that are important and they need to be stopped. And uh, top of that pecking order is uh, facilitating a Nazi neo influence network that involves uh, that cent that centers on Peter Thiel, 
someone who advocates for dark enlightenment and extends to Weave, the neo-Nazi uh, head of Daily Stormer for years, who has a secret base in the Eastern Europe, you know, funded by Teal. Uh, Teal, a person who got Trump into office. Teal, a person who was was instrumental via Palantir in the ICE raids. Uh, that is what should which needs to be talked about. And I saw the Joe Rogan thing as an opportunity to get that talked about. And of course, I failed to get that accomplished. Uh, and so it's kind of gone away. And then uh, the funny thing is I was writing up a document and circling it around among, among some colleagues and so forth uh, and tweeted out something uh, that one morning about here's the real Joe Rogan scandal. So the drill Joe Rogan scandal is coming. And uh, I, I'd spent a, a busy day uh, compiling all the, some, all the connections I could, I could think of, uh, the close connections between the deal and Joe Rogan and the rest of the network there, uh, showing that Joe Rogan is a creature of deal. You know, there's Eric Weinstein's appearances. There's, uh, you know, obviously the fact that I, the fact that someone like me would not be brought on, uh, you know, on an anti-establishment show when, you know, I mean, not to shoot my own horn, but I used to go on everything, you know, back in the day. And, uh, you know, I am known as someone who would be a interesting guest, you know, uh, especially if you're dealing with conspiracies and, and or unusual stuff or other comedians, because I'm a humorist, you know, I was a humorist before I was anything else. So that was, you know, uh, a little suspicious. But anyway, compiling his connections to Andy No, uh, which is what brought this to my attention. Someone showed me a, a, a tweet that Andy No put out. Uh, saying, you know, praising Joe Rogan, saying back when I had no voice and I would, I'd just been assaulted by by Antifa and my brain hemorrhaging, all this, this whole thing he conned the New York Times and everybody into, into running. Uh, you know, back when I had no voice, no influence, just a guy, you know, Joe Rogan reached out and put me on. He, you know, he's a great guy. And uh, that's when I sat up and said, oh, shit. Um, now I remember some things. And one of the things I remembered was uh, a uh, Politico article from 2019, a little bit naive, uh, but it was about the, the intellectual dark web, which is a, a overlapping thing with the dark enlightenment. It's a more, it's the more uh, well-known term that the New York Times actually came up with. Uh, Barry Weiss, it's also part of the Teal Network, coined it in this big feature article about all the dark enlightenment, the intellectual dark web thinkers, and they're, they've gone underground because they're being suppressed, uh, and a lot of them have Teal connections. Anyway, I remember this profile on Claire Lamont, who was the editor of Quillette. Quillette. Uh, is, an, is an outlet that runs and has run for a long time uh, Peter Thiel op-eds by Peter Thiel uh, runs articles by Claire Lamont himself like defending Peter Thiel you know and stuff that no one else is talking about that Peter Thiel obviously you know urges about um, Andy No was their employee until uh, it was discovered you know it, it came it came out via video uh, his, his actual role in the uh, the incident where a bunch of uh, Patriot prayer groups, another white supremacists, uh, went down, you know, plans to go make an attack on a, a left-wing bar and did so, and, and a woman got paralyzed. That came out, and you know, he, he had to he quit that same day. Unrelated, according to him and uh, Claire Lamont, just was planned coincidence. Anyway, so I remembered that political article uh, and how the first paragraph began, uh, talking about. Claire Lamont meets with Eric, they go out with Eric uh, Weinstein of Thiel Capital, and they meet up with uh, Joe Rogan. Hmm. And suddenly I realized, you know, I, I think I have a pretty idea, good idea how uh, Andy No got uh, onto Joe Rogan's uh, show. Uh, and I think I got a pretty good idea uh, as to some other things. I, pretty, I, I have a pretty, uh, I already had a pretty good idea of why Andy No had been targeting me uh and had uh, ID'd me, had identified me for the UK police and, uh, CC and worked with the Met and the Met Federation, the police union here 
to get me arrested successfully and uh, and identified me as a Antifa leader, which is not true. I mean, I'm I'm an anti-fascist, but you know, I'm an anti-fascist. Like my, my grandfather was an anti-fascist. Like I think we should drop bombs on them, and he did. You know, that was a different time. You know, I'm I'm old-fashioned. Uh, and I already understood why Claire Lamont had gotten my uh, Twitter account suspended several times. Uh, you know, th there's an article about that because I have I do have the record world record for suspension, permanent suspensions mm -hmm. on Twitter that have been then reversed after yeah, outcries by the journalists. Uh, and eventually, anyway, so uh, I already had a good idea about that. And I, I get I already had an idea individually of why, you know, of why I knew from the start and, and said as much. Rogan's not going to be heavy on that show. Um, uh, I don't know how we know. You know. Uh, it, it occurred to me, this network extends pretty widely. Well, and so I said this around to some journalists and all that. And a few hours later, uh, it came out that Peter Thiel, uh, who I was trying desperately to show, draw the connections to, to, to Rogan through all these people, offers Joe Rogan $100 million to come on to his, uh, his network, you know, uh, Rumbler, Rumbler, which Grin Greenwald is also involved in. And, uh, you know, that makes things both harder and easier. It means it makes it easier to show he's getting a feel, but it, but it makes it harder to point out to people that, yeah, this some of this stuff was not, was not, was kind of concealed. And if you look at some of, I've had some people go and look at the guest lists, uh, including some people who do are very uh, prolific uh, researchers and data analysts, uh, you know, for, for major outlets. Uh, and uh, boy, there's, there's some interesting patterns there that go on beyond that. But, well, but the bottom line is uh, Joe Rogan is a creature of feel. Tim Poole is a creature of Teal. We know that through Rocco Castoro and Emily Molly, who are now being sued by by uh, by Tim Poole. They uh, they were hired, you know, to help him create this outlet that he was getting funding from, almost certainly from Teal. Uh, they took the job knowing that if they didn't take it, someone else would, and they knew that they could use it. They could use it in ways that Tim Poole was not going to like, and that's exactly what happened. And they could also find out what Tim Poole was up to, and that happened. And they could also uh, fund me using using Palancer's money, which also happened as well. Uh, you know, they were able to, able to, to they were, Rocco was arranging me a show on this new network, Disrupt, or whatever, I can't remember what it's called now, you know, on the Tim Pool's deal, and was paying, you know, they were using that money, Palancer's money, Theater's deal's money to pay for my Airbnbs in Austin when I was homeless and, and so forth. And so that was nice to get one back at them. Anyway, uh, we know all about it. And so they, they ended up being sued by, by, uh, by Tim Pool, and uh, they they've released the capital footage that Tim Pool was trying to suppress. They've released information about Tim Pool's foreknowledge and involvement in the in planning the Capitol riots, and a lot of other stuff. Rocco Castoro, uh, who who's also who works closely with me and Joe Fiondo on things, he's another encyclopedia uh, of of press malfeasance and, and much else. Uh, he knows where the bodies are buried. He had a long interview with uh, McAfee, for instance, before he died that was never published. Uh, you know, he he uh, that's another person that, uh, you know, over, over the last year, two years working with him and, and so forth, we've been able to get a, a better sense. You know, you know I, I want to yeah. ask you about uh, what was the McAfee real quick, because it's funny. You remember how I, I just um, basically, you know, for the audience, I, I when I asked Barrett to come on the show. I thought of another show that I listened to that I thought he might go on and I hit up that host. Um, the Opperman, Opperman re report and the host sent me back. He said he was going to send me this crazy interview he did with McAfee. So now I'm like, what's going on with McAfee? Like, so I thought he was a nutbag. What, I mean, he, 
what, what what was that all about? So I'll tell you this. So so Rocco and we interviewed him on his island a few a number of years ago, and uh, he's released and and he's released some clips of that since then, and that's a whole another subject. Uh, I I interacted with McAfee publicly uh, when I got out of prison when I was when I was building up funding for pursuance. I tweeted at him and said, "Hey, uh, give me money for my fucking nonprofit." I said it on Twitter. And I think I think he said, oh, if, if, the, if, if the if the project, you know, if the project has merit, it'll 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 get funding automatically. And I said, hey, that's not true. You know that. And then I, I said, I'm going to use my mental, my psychic powers to spy on you in whatever room you are, unless you give me money. And because that's I like to you know mess with people who are who are wacky. And, and McAfee, of course, has also knew where a lot of bodies were buried. And there's there's, a, there's an extent there's a direction there that I'll I'll, I'll pass on talking about now because I'm not yeah, I'm, I'm not the person to do it. But uh. But um, anyway, later on, he he did actually give me he helped actually helped me out. He did fund me uh, for a while through uh, through it. Yeah, he, he I got some McAfee money at some point. Not a lot. Uh, not the kind of not the kind that Andy know or Reeve get from from uh, Peter Thiel or or you know, and not not the kind that the uh, the Atomwaffen uh, lady that that Andy know uh, works with uh, the one who does Atomwaffen porn while also running that yeah, XC Intel firms not that kind of money but i got like oh i think maybe a thousand dollars or something and we put it into pursuance nonprofit um to help keep that running before i shut it down which i eventually did um mcafee yeah that's that's another person that will never really know the extent to which we will never know the, i think the extent to which what his role was at the intelligence committee and how this may relate to epstein i'll put it that way <laughs> That's uh, funny because that that that's uh, what's his name Opperman's. That, that's probably where it goes because Opperman. There, there, there are yeah. Was, I mean, and, was yeah, way ahead of Epstein. He got that way before anyone else. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. Uh, we, I, 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 I was, I've been, I've worked with, been involved with one of the journalists who uh, the Miami Herald uh, Tribune that 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 re-entered that basically got the the Epstein story back into the public eye and forced the DOJ to finally do what they did and led to all this. Uh, and Val Brooksmith, the one I talked about, the one who ended up doing a deal and snitching on us. He also uh, worked with the New York Times on that on that issue afterwards and uh, and so forth. And uh, so between between us and, and, and Rocco, and of course, Val was now our enemy because he you know, he, he turned. He turned. Uh, yeah, turned. Uh, but I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of information there that, you know, it would be great if a real outlet that's not me and has more resources and more time. Right. Uh, to focus on to pursue because goddamn, you know. It's, it's that's another great example of the press is the problem of the press and the public. I'm very glad the term that the term uh, influence network is now in use because now it's possible to talk intelligently about basic obvious things like there are networks of people Shoot, yeah. influence things and they can be used in different ways without having to without being say oh it's a conspiracy and yeah. so I'm glad I'm glad you know you know when you when you mentioned Joe Rogan too uh, like I've always looked at the Alex Jones like that he's within an influence program there's there's something going on with that guy forever i met alex jones and interviewed him in 2002 i lived in austin uh time he was still he was he was he was very much with novelty everyone we loved watching his show because he's so funny and and some of the stuff he did was interesting he did go to bohemian drove and film it you know he he exaggerated about what was going on there but it bohemian drove is a real thing it's legitimate it's unfortunately it's tarnished by him and other people you know so it doesn't get looked into as deeply as it should like the Bilderberg group but I interviewed him and uh, in the company of a friend of mine, Mirna Hariz, uh, who's uh, also a friend of mine from Dallas, way, way back, very close friend, uh, and who's, who's, you know, who's Lebanese. And uh, 
when I when I walked off to go get get, get a camera, so I could take a picture of me and Alex Jones, you know, as a, one of my souvenirs from my travails through fucking the the, the descent of America, you know, the end of the United States. Uh, he, he said some things to her that were quite anti-Semitic, you know, assuming she would agree. Like, I mean, the Jews and all that, you know, I wish I had recorded it, but it doesn't really matter. The, well, the thing about Alex Jones is, I'll just say this, you know, in for years and years, he was accusing Rudy Giuliani of, of involvement in 9-11. Mm-hmm. Then, then, then I got out of prison and I see that uh, that he, Alex Jones is now, right. uh, he's now friends with him and Trump. And so either he changed his mind or he didn't believe it to, to begin with, or, uh, you know, or Rudy Giuliani used his cunning, you know, personal charisma to, I mean, you know, I, I don't know what's going on there. It's crazy. Uh, it's hmm? it's crazy how you're right. He switched. Yeah, it's like yeah, WWE. Yeah. Well, that's, it's that's, like, it's, that's the least of it. You know? That's what it reminds I mean, me of WWE when a good guy turns into a bad guy. And like now it's, a great remi- it's a great reminder of, you know, people should never, they should never, uh, don't assume that the that supposed enemies, like supposed enemies, people who are you know, apparent enemies, don't assume that it's bizarre. Uh, I mean, especially after the last five years of re- realignment, it should be clear. Uh, don't don't be like that's ridiculous. If someone proposes, you know, or provides you evidence, you know, of of alliances between, you know, so forth. Because remember, I worked for Peter Thiel without realizing it, and uh, you know, that's just one minor example. Mm-hmm. And I I helps promote Kurtaner, Aubrey Cottle. You know, he's busy because I, I I didn't like him. You know, he's, he's obviously a nut. Even brought him in, but I you know didn't. And I told him off a couple of times because he kept talking about crazy shit. I told him shut the fuck up. No one cares about your feelings. Uh, but I you know, and I ignored. Anyway, what I'm saying is that, <clears throat> you know, there are strange bedfellows. And uh, I mean, and and Glenn Greenwald being targeted by Peter Thiel, uh, us discovering it, putting it out. Grimwald writing about it, you know, after they got lying. And then, you know, and then years later, aligning with Peter Thiel and Joe Rogan and the whole network and promote and, and, and retweeting, you know, the other things Grimwald's been doing is retweeting someone who gets who's part, who's get money from money from the founders fund. One of Thiel's, one of Thiel's other pieces of his apparatus. I mean, it just goes on and on. Uh, that's a great example. You know, don't that everything's changeable and a lot of people are, can be bought and it's very easy to convince people uh, that they should take the money because taking the money would be good, helpful and all that. Very easy to convince them, especially right. in this day and age. That is why we're in the situation we're in. And that is why, you know, the response, the solution to all of this will not be through, uh, unfortunately, the, the, the proper channels that, you know, the press and the public having a discussion and then voting, Congress voting. It's just it's not there's there's we are already in the middle of a civil war that's uh, transnational. And this is part of it. Uh, speaking of that, yeah, uh, I, I don't probably we probably should end soon. I guess I'm sure you're tired. Yeah. Uh, you must be. That, you're 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 up to what? What is it? Like 1 a.m. now? <laughs> you gotta yeah, but I mean, I, I'm I, you know I keep a regular sleeping habits. Um, so, <laughs> uh, I'll say this about Russia and Ukraine. So, like I said, I've been on. I started going to Russia today. 20, uh, you know, back in 2010, I was invited on to defend Michael Hastings uh, for my Vanity Fair article. Uh, I, I went on to defend uh, Aaron Schwartz uh, the day he was indicted. Uh, even though I still barely knew, I didn't even remember I'd worked with him at that point. I still did not did not have remember him being the one that had done this DDoS deal. So we dealt with a lot of people, and they're all you know. Um, you know, I went on to uh, to talk about the things we discovered that were really dangerous to democracy. I was happy to use the Russian propaganda networks 
to put out true things because if I'm not on there putting out uh, these, first of all, it needs to get out, needs to get out to the Western public and, uh, and, and, and to everyone. And uh, I, again, I have no problem using someone else's apparatus. If I can walk, if, if the CIA said, Hey, we're going to give you an interview uh, on, on whatever networks we fund. I'd be like, sure, that's great. I'll do that. You know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to not set, point out, you know, things that I know about you. Uh, but I'm, I'll do that. Um, same thing with Russia today. Sputnik is the only one I've actually stopped going on entirely because they, anyway, um, that's not even, a, that's not even, a, not even really well hidden, uh, uh, arm of the Russian intelligence community. Anyway, the, something I need to make make known because this, this, this is important. Uh, and this, this gives us a sense of what the position, the position a lot of us are going to be in and why we have to start thinking about these things. My last ever interview with Russia today was uh, last Monday, a few days before the Ukrainian invasion. Uh, it was one of several outlets and individuals that have been reaching out to me about uh, things I've been talking about regarding anonymous being infiltrated by the CIA and intelligence community, about Aubrey Cottle, things we talked about here today. Uh, and I've been putting out all this stuff and was and uh, was happy to uh, put it out again uh, to, an to an audience, to people who watch Russia Today still, like, you know, in the English-speaking world. Uh, there's a lot of people who really need to, they, they need to be told certain things. There's things they probably don't understand if they, you know, Russia Today has had some great hosts and, and put out great information, but it's it's kind of a piece of shit. You know, and I know a lot of British producers there. But the interview that I had on, on that Monday, <clears throat> it was unlike all the last 20 interviews I've done with them. It's entirely unlike it uh, for a number of reasons. And I recorded it, <clears throat> uh, the whole thing using Skype on my end. It was an hour long. That was another one of the unusual things. It was not done with a presenter, you know, like one of the very famously attractive women they usually have. Uh, it wasn't live. Usually, usually it's, they're not always live. Sometimes they're recorded, used later. And uh, it turned out at the very end, it turned out from a question I asked, uh, it wasn't with a producer. Um, and I don't, it doesn't seem like they've aired any of it, even though they have put out uh, uh pieces on the same subject. Uh, if they have aired any of it, it's, it's probably being done internally in Russia on Russian networks of me. Uh, and so it's me explaining the same stuff I've been saying to the public. Uh, but the person I was talking to, and this is, this is well known. You can, you can, you should talk Andrew Blake would be a great guy to ask about this or Joe Fiondo or many others, the Russian nationals who work with Russia today, they all rush their Russian intelligence. They're not just part of the influence network they have. They are Russian intelligence. The person I spoke to, uh, this, this happened once with the Israelis back in 2011 too. Recorded that one as well. This was definitely, and I did, I, I didn't realize it until the end. This was uh, the Russians asking me uh, about the CIA's infiltration, the CIA's involvement in anonymous and distributed denial secrets and all the things that and I didn't realize at the time uh, why they're interested in that. I mean, they, they ask about anonymous. They, they, they want stuff about CIA and FBI infiltration, wrongdoing, of course. And so we have that shared interest. But and I didn't realize until the invasion started and uh Anonymous, the piece portions of Anonymous that exist, the You're Not News account basically leads it essentially in terms of impact and press power and Kurtaner and all these other networks. Uh, I didn't realize that they're that they were going to be, you know, popping in and uh, going after the Russians in a digital what digital you know attack method. So the information I gave them, which they could have they could have you know found they could have found all of it. I mean, I've given you more information than I have to them because we've had longer to talk, but I mean, it's all there on my Twitter account. That's how they knew about it. But they were using me uh, 
as a means of being able to be in a position to discredit the operation against Russia being done by anonymous. So here's a here, this this there's several implications here, and this is a great way to end the show, I think. Um, you know, there there's a lot of reasons not to not to deceive people you're people who are working on your behalf or for you or you know under your guidance. Uh, there's a lot of reasons not to, uh, you know, get in bed with the CIA, FBI and all that, even even if, say, for instance, like Emma Best and her partner, Zan North, even if they are facing indictments and they don't want to go to prison because they're just they're, because they're cowards. Uh, there's a lot of reasons not to take those deals. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons why, you know, Stanley Cohen, who, who's heavily involved in this, whatever this takeover has been, uh, and the other people who, who infiltrated the uh Free anons, the, the non-legal legal defense people in a group, with my help, unfortunately. Uh, there's there's a reason, you know, why the things they have done, uh, to the extent they believe in what they're doing, uh, are not well uh, not well assisted by their actions. Uh, it's never good to be in a position where the truth will discredit you. And That's one thing. That, that's a pragmatic thing. There's other pragmatic reasons not to work with CIA and FBI, not to work with Weave, neo-Nazi, and Peter Thiel and Katana and all these people at once and have FBI cooperators running around and then and attack uh, and try to discredit uh, and, and, and try to uh, get swats uh, on those of us uh, who, have, who have pointed this stuff out, you know, gradually, uh, as Katana and them tried to do to me and my, my fiance uh, a few months ago. Uh and there's reason, you know, reasons not to uh, not to do a lot of the things they've done, and and uh, they're pragmatic and moral. And the fact of the matter is, it would have been the easiest fucking thing in the world had things gone differently for a real a movement with with integrity that polices itself, that doesn't decide it's it's beyond policing itself like the police do, and like the press does, the governments do. Uh, there are reasons uh, not to go down that road. Unless you were a coward or could be bought, uh, in which case, you know, it's it's very important that we know who you are uh, so that, uh, you know, you can be exposed and your, your influence minimized and then down the road, whatever happens. Uh, but bottom line is the Rush, Russians knew this. The CIA knew this. The public, the public doesn't know it. And so I think if the Russian intelligence services know something and the U.S. intelligence services know something, the public needs to know it as well. And people, they can decide for themselves, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not saying don't participate in these anonymous led attacks on, on, the, on Russia. Do it to the extent I haven't followed exactly what they're doing, but do it, you know, independently of yourself. If you have the ability to hack, there's, right. there's lists floating around of Russian targets. Go for it. Be, be educated and aware of, of who you're yeah, exactly, might be cooperating exactly. with and working. Exactly. Think about it. You know, you, but there's, but aware. this is not the first time that the anonymous apparatus has been effectively taken over by the U S government. Again, it happened in two, from 2011, summer 2011 to about 2012, March to an extent beyond Sabu, who was you know one of the big leaders. There was other others involved. Uh, and it's not the first time that there will be that what people think, uh, is going to happen, what they think their, their effects are going to be. It's not the first time people will be proven wrong and disappointed. Mm. And if I, myself, who's had to spend years, 10 years living this uh, and then studying it for my memoirs and for this screenplay and, and to find out why my friends are dying and being prosecuted, you know, and Lauren Bespisa, of course, as you know, is being an FBI prosecution right now. She's one of the ones in the signal, you know, 
one of our other colleagues, Tina Desiree Berg, was assaulted by Andy Noe's friend, uh, Tony Moon, live on live stream a few months ago at a protest. She was one of the ones reporters in my group, the FBI was monitoring, uh, that was broadcast all over the world. Those articles, Tony Moon never arrested. He's, he's working with the FBI. There are reasons uh, not, they, to, not they, to sacrifice. Yeah. Hmm? The most horrible people. Like Tony oh, I mean, Moon, yeah, I've watched and, him do uh, so many horrific block. stuff. Yeah. There's reasons not to join the FBI, Nazi, CIA, Peter Thiel Alliance. And I'm, I'm happy to have spelled them out for everybody. Uh, but from this point on, uh, you know, that's enough explaining. Uh, I want, I need people, th those people involved. I'll send a link to this to certain people. And if I, if I do, you know, I'll send a little note saying, but I need those of you who, who know, who were tricked and who haven't been convinced yet or don't want to be convinced. I need you to make a decision in the next few days. Um, you know, uh, because we need to stop this. Uh, it's, it's gone too far. Uh, and if people don't know when they, where, where they can leak to without getting arrested or without the information being suppressed or given to Pierre Emmanuel and Peter Thiel, if they don't know, uh, you know, uh, you know, whether that be the intercept or, uh, DDOS, if they don't know, uh, which groups are, are going to, uh, cover for Nazis, uh, and, uh, and then attack prison whistleblowers, uh, if they don't know which groups are, are going to follow the CIA's ultimate uh, agenda or Peter Thiel's, then they really don't know what role they're playing. And they deserve to. Uh, they all deserve to. And so everyone involved deserves to know and they will know um, to the extent that, that we're able uh, to make it known, which, you know, we'll see how that goes. But in the process, absolutely. Uh, there's a number of us who are very serious about this and that needs to be understood. I'll just I'll just put it that it, very serious about this. At Barrett Brown on Twitter, follow him. Make sure you're following him. And and uh, this is a good comment too. I think someone brought up because I look at like Peter Thiel as someone who's making money on both sides, on every side. And this comment was if you know if people know who Peter Thiel is, he's you know started PayPal. He he was just resigned from the Facebook board. Guy's a billionaire. He runs this company that gathers all the intelligence. Palantir. If you think about it. DDO Secrets is helping Peter Thiel by doxing people indiscriminately in mass since it adds to his surveillance industry. That's what uh, one of the comments were. Seems pretty obvious. Last last thing I'll say. This is about Peter Thiel. This this is not this is not a billionaire in the sense that we're used to. This is not a powerful politically connected person in the sense that we're used to. This is a new a new phenomenon. This is not uh, Carnegie or Rockefeller, both vastly influential in their day. This is not uh, Krupp. This is not the people who help fund the Nazis. This is not IBM. This is not uh, this. This is none of those things. This is a confluence of power, uh, information, political, you know, political uh, control. I mean, both parties sought Palantir's assistance towards the 16 election. That's not been reported because, you know, uh, I, no one listens to me. But it's it's in those emails, the Podesta emails. They talked about going to Alex, Alex Carpet Palantir and asking for their help. Because they didn't realize, because, you know, why would they bother thinking these, these things through that Peter Thiel uh, doesn't want to help the Democrats in, in less ex except to the extent that it serves his purpose. He wanted to help Trump because that's how you get the dark enlightenment. And that's why his people are all working for Trump. Uh, that's 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 a lot of influence on both po political parties when both presidencies uh, are seeking your help and one of them gets it and one of them wins. Uh, and that's not even going into the other countries where we know there's been electioneering and I won't go into that because that's another another day uh anyway um and because it won't matter anyway i mean i, I mean basically what i say up here today a lot of it just won't matter um but uh 
Peter Thiel is a new kind of thing. And I've been saying for 10 years, said it the moment, you know, as soon as we became aware of him and began going through these communications and seeing what Palantir was. And I said it from prison and got put under a gag order for it. And I've said it online and I posted stuff online and gets suspended from Twitter several times for, for posting publicly available documents showing Palantir lied about some of its influence operations and political shenanigans. Uh, Peter Thiel is the most dangerous person in the world. He is the person who has done the most. And I don't, I don't care if you're a fucking Republican, Libertarian, Democrat, Green Party, unless you are in favor of the dark enlightenment. Go read about it. Go read, go read Peter Thiel's essay on it. Unless you are opposed to democracy itself, as Peter Thiel openly is, and you're, and you're not interested in finding solutions that, that still involve the public informed consent, uh, you know, find out, find out about this. Pick a side because there's two sides. There's there are those who are working for Peter Thiel and to his ends, whether they know it or not. And I was on that side accidentally for a while, so you can you can imagine how susceptible people are. There's a lot in the press who are, and then there's those. Uh, and there's a much smaller side who know what Peter Thiel is and know he's dangerous. And there's a much smaller contingent who are able to, who want to act on it. And right now we're in the, the information warfare aspect of that. But at some point, you know, uh, I hope, I hope this can be handled in the next five, 10 years because it's, we don't have another, another 10 years like this. Um, you know, uh, just think about 2010 compared to now uh, and think about just extrapolate. Uh, Peter Thiel has to be stopped and, and everyone involved with him needs to be stopped and that has to be done. He, he is not he is not just a Bond villain he is not just a dictator he's more dangerous than Putin, he's more dangerous than Trump he's more dangerous than, than China than China itself, he's more dangerous than the US government uh, there is nothing that is more dangerous that has had more effect and has proven his strategic genius and his and his sociopathic uh, values than that person, Peter Thiel. If he had been hanged 12 years ago, this would be a, this world would be vastly different. Um, so I'll just put it that way. I, I, hope, I think I Rod Weber just posted because it says Facebook user. It says Alexander Carp donated a ton of money to River Dave, our friend, almost like taunting us. That's that's insane. Oh yeah, no, that, that that's another thing that happens. That we could, that's that's that, that's happened. This container thing and some of the things he's hacked supposedly. That's that's and that's a whole another issue regarding some of the hacks that have happened with container and so forth and against the right. Uh, that you know, I would just tell people there's just anyway. We'll, we'll, I'll talk about more about that in the coming days and you can search. So I much appreciate all your time tonight, Vera. This was a great interview. Uh, over two hours, two and a half hours now. So we're going to let you go, but. I guess my last question is, Peter Thiel, you think he's going to run for president? He was born in Germany, so we can't. Oh, can't. Okay, thank and God. He should have stayed in Germany. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, mean I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, like, if my grandfather knew this, you know, I mean, having fought, you know, against German Nazis um, who were being coddled by the West for such a long time, knew that a German-born, I'm sorry, Germany, but German-born, um, tech billionaire who's, who's opposed to democracy and funding uh, people who are opposed to democracy and putting them in power. If he knew the nature of the press coverage this man was still getting, even from the outlets, he doesn't have reporters he's bought, uh, he'd turn that bomber around and probably just drop him and drop a lot of money on Manhattan. I mean, you know, I mean, it, 
it, it's been too, it's been way too long since, since the West, since most of us, since, since those of us in our generations have felt the sharp edges that exist in reality. Uh, people did in World War II in the 30s and 40s. Uh, and they were different kind of people because of it. Some sometimes better, sometimes worse. Uh, I, I felt them. I've seen them. Some people around me have felt them. The black activists I work with in particular who've been screwed over by DDoS and Kurtaner and so forth. Uh, I've, I've seen them. Um, I don't want more people to see them. I, I, I want them to just uh, accept, accept my argument rather than just waiting another five, 10 years to see how much worse things get. Uh, we haven't even gone into the, the, the ways in which the other technologies that, that, have been, that have been found and discovered and, and still not discussed much in the press that are going to make it harder and harder for anyone to know what's going on and for anyone like myself or those I work with to have any influence whatsoever. I mean, it's going to be a couple of years before, you know, we do what people did in 1940 uh, during the Molotov Ribbentrop Act and just take our cyanide pills. Um, I mean, it's, it's going to be too late pretty soon. Thank so. you so much. A lot of comments are coming in. Be safe to you. Um, I, I'm worried about you. I, I worry about you all the time. I, I not, I'm you on Twitter. There are there are seven billion people that are that are that are at, at risk here. I'm I'm just I'm just the canary in the coal mine. Thank you so much for spending time tonight. I hope we can do another show in the near future to talk about. Thank some you of those very other much for having me. Thank you for having me. Give me the opportunity to, to put all this out. I appreciate it. This is this is important to a lot of people, and uh, much appreciated. And now one of your friends on here is saying, check your signals, Barrett. There's some new yep, information yeah. about Kurtaner that they yeah. just sent you. There's, so, yeah, there's a lot going on still in the background. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for tonight. And uh, again, people need to follow you big time on Twitter at Barrett Brown, B at Barrett B, sorry, at Barrett B on Twitter. Follow him. Oh, it is last final, final, final thing. Uh, Dale Barron, B-E-R-A-N, uh, of the Atlantic. Uh, you need to respond to my signal messages about Kurtaner and, and Neil Reiser. Uh, it's been several months. You need to do it today, like today, next few hours. Uh, anybody out there who wants to send that message to him on Twitter just so he gets, gets it, you know, it's Dale Barron at Twitter. Uh, we, need to, we need to know how this happened, and we need to make, make it stop, and we're not going to get it by begging anyway. So thank you. Thank you, Barrett. That is Barrett Brown. My name is Mike Crawford. This is The Young Jerks. If you're just listening to us the first time, definitely like us, subscribe, follow us. Uh, also on podcasts, Apple, iTunes, all those places, Spotify, you'll be able to listen to it probably by tomorrow morning, uh, if not late tonight. Uh, and like us, subscribe to us, follow us. We're going to be doing a lot more on this, hopefully, with Barrett Brown. Thank you so much, Barrett. Thank you. Thank you.